Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Good afternoon, Auburn. Welcome into Sports Call here today on this Wednesday. Coming to you live from our studios here on South College Street. My name is JJ Jackson. On the program with me today, I've got Ryan Lavoy, Tom Peavy, and Cam Berry. We have got an amazing show planned for you here on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. A lot set to be accomplished here on the show today as we're getting set for Auburn and LSU coming up this weekend. We're going to take your phone calls. We'll talk about the Braves. We'll talk about the NASCAR race coming to Talladega. We'll talk fantasy football with Joe Bartle of Rotowire as we do each and every Wednesday. And we've got a hump day update coming your way as well here on this Wednesday. So, so much to accomplish here on Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. As we said, the Atlanta Braves have won consecutive games against the Washington Nationals. They are now tied for the NL East lead with the New York Mets. The Braves now have seven games remaining in their 2022 season as Auburn football gets prepared to take on uh, LSU coming up on Saturday as well. So tons to discuss here on the program today. I'm J.J. Jackson with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Kim Berry. Tom, how are you? Uh, doing great. Uh, yeah, man, Braves. They're they're on a roll right now, and yeah, hope, hopefully you can wrap things up uh, with a sweep as you get ready for the Mets, and that's the that's going to be one of the biggest series. I shouldn't say one of the biggest series. That is going to be the biggest <laughs> series for the Braves and the Mets this season yeah. because yeah. They, they've been, you know, they're early in the season. It looked like the Mets were running away with it, and then they hit a little bit of a snag while the Braves got hot. But since then, and that was that was pre-All-Star break. Since the All-Star break, these two teams have been just neck and neck. I, I think the largest the lead got for the Mets was six, I believe. Uh, yeah. and, and then that didn't last long. I mean, they have been just neck and neck. The Braves took a quick lead over them and then immediately lost a couple of games, and the Mets took the lead back. Uh, but now here we are tied, but they have a series left with the Mets inside Truist Park. Goodness gracious, you want to talk about playoff-level baseball and a playoff-level uh, atmosphere that you would expect inside the uh, Braves stadium for that one. And uh, the Braves, I guess, they could potentially clinch it. Yeah, Pretty awesome that they, they found if themselves they sweep, in this position. They'd have to get the sweep. Um, but then even then, you know, even if you take the series and get the lead, your last series against the Marlins, which you should be able to handle the Marlins. Yeah, you got to feel good about where Atlanta's at right now, given the way they've been playing as of late uh, and just the number of games left and the fact that they do have that big series head-to-head with the Mets coming up. Cam Barry, how are you? Doing well, doing well. Uh, excited for the weekend ahead in sports, ready to uh, – See see the Tigers face off again um, against LSU. Let's, yeah. let's, you know, see how that goes. Could be excited. I'm gonna go to the game, so I'm ready to ready to be in Jordan Hare, cheer on cheer on Auburn and see how that goes. But doing great. Like Tom said, the Braves 
tied for the NL East lead, you know, that's that's big. Um, and ready to see how they close it out and, and super excited for that series uh, at the end of the week. Ryan LaVoy, how are things for you, my friend, on this Wednesday? Good. I did enjoy the Braves coming back, winning last night, um, you know, and obviously getting this thing tied. Um, it further emphasizes the result of the Met series is probably the result of the division now. Uh, they need to enter it tied, obviously. Braves can't afford to go back down a game and remind people of some tiebreakers. The Mets lead the Braves this year 9-7. So if they win a game against the Braves, they will then have the tiebreaker if the two teams tie, and there will not be a one-game playoff for who wins the division. That would only happen for if there was a tie in the wild card now since they're pushing the season back a little bit more since it's – already going to be October when the season ends. So, um, you know, the Braves certainly with the sweep would would actually – it would be over if they entered in a tie because they would have a three-game lead plus a tiebreaker. But if they win two out of three and they leave with a one-game lead, then all the Mets have to do is still tie. And, yes, Tom, I know you said the Braves play the Marlins. Well, the Mets play the Nationals, and the Mets just lost to the Mar- Marlins last yeah. night. So – um, on paper, they're both pretty easy series for both teams, but you only have three. Baseball. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you never know. Um, so, but but nevertheless, I mean, the Braves were getting in a good position because I could flip that around and say if they trailed by a game entering the series, which is still possible, um, then the Braves, by winning the series, would tie the Mets in the standings. However, they would still need a result to win the division because the Mets would have that tiebreaker. So if the Braves can get this thing Keep it tied after tonight. Obviously, if they won and Mets lost, it would be even better. But um, they just need to make sure that it is a tie, uh, tie game, you know, tie in the tie in the standings once they play the series. Then we have the element of you know when they will play this series, when they will get these three games in, um, you know. And there's a lot of weather stuff that the league's having to decide on. I was kind of in favor of trying to get a game in tomorrow uh, since both teams have an off day and that way you're working with more time because one of the other scenarios is if they only get two in this weekend they could play game 162 on a Thursday right. after their Marlins and National Series respectively if that game 162 matters so that would be very intense that would effectively become a one game playoff at that point but there there could be some uh, mischief weather-wise this weekend in Georgia, and we might have a doubleheader at some point. We might have some delays. We just probably not will get to proceed as originally scheduled. So we'll see how that goes. But otherwise, I know there's a long spiel. Doing well. Um, been following Hurricane Ian as it slams into Florida's peninsula. And, uh, yeah, excited to talk more football throughout the show as well. Let's talk a little football. 334-887-3401 or toll free at one tiger 9 We're getting to the portion of the year as this will be the fifth week of the college football season where we're going to see a number of SEC versus SEC matchups the rest of the way, including this weekend, guys. Uh, when you don't take a look at Auburn and LSU, you've got a pair of top 25 battles between Texas A&M and, or excuse me, between Alabama and Arkansas. And then in addition to that, Kentucky and Ole Miss all of a sudden is a top 15 matchup. So uh, when I present to you guys Arkansas versus Alabama or Ole Miss versus Kentucky, what's more intriguing to you at this uh, point of the season? Top 15 battle between Ole Miss 
and Kentucky or Alabama taking on a top 20 Arkansas team? Uh, the the Arkansas-Alabama is more intriguing to me. It's at Arkansas. It's intriguing because Alabama is more of the national title contender. I don't see that with the other two. Now, I can see the other two maybe competing uh, to try to get to that level, but they're not competing for a national championship because those two are going to lose somewhere else along the way. Can Alabama remain undefeated in their chances of an undefeated season? I think Arkansas can give them a shot. Uh, it, like I said, it's in Fayetteville. They're doing their whole red out or whatever. Arkansas, a pretty decent team, and I think they can give Alabama a run for it. And so that will be intriguing to see that one more just because I think it, it, Alabama's on upset alert. When you look at Ole Miss, Kentucky, yeah, I mean, that's a great game. I think that's two good teams going against each other, but I just I don't feel like it just has the national implications of Arkansas and Alabama. I am going to go Kentucky and Ole Miss of because yeah. uh, <laughs> same actually because these two teams are not accustomed to being in this situation. We've seen Alabama play a ranked Arkansas team a lot, and Alabama usually beats that ranked Arkansas team a lot. Um, so I'm not as intrigued by it because I simply, you know, on the heels of a backbreaker for Arkansas, just a horrible way to lose a football game. You know, it is a response game for them, but against Alabama, it's it's so. It's going to be so difficult for them. I mean, just look at the lines. If you if you're a betting guy and you like the Vegas lines, Bama's favored by 17 and a half. Like that's not on paper supposed to be that close of a game. I do think Arkansas will challenge them. I I do not think Alabama will cover the 17 and a half. But nevertheless, I don't really expect Alabama to have problems winning that football game. What I do think though with Kentucky and Ole Miss, I think that these are two programs that have obviously not been accustomed to too much winning in the league. And the winner of this game is going to be incredibly nationally relevant. I mean, Kentucky's number seven in the country. This is not basketball. They are number seven in football. Ole Miss is number 14. If Ole Miss wins, they're probably going into the top ten. So the winner of this game is going to be the top ten after this. And while I don't think that's necessarily crazy. indicative of a team that could make the playoffs here, because ultimately I do expect that to still be Alabama and or Georgia, um, from the SEC, I think you're looking at a potential New Year's Six team here. And, again, these are two programs that are not used to this, and it shows you what everyone in this league is capable of doing, save for Vanderbilt and maybe Missouri. Everyone in this league is got the potential to have a season where they are incredibly nationally relevant, where they're in the top ten, and where they can make a New Year's Six bowl game. And these two programs are bearing that out. Of course, Ole Miss already made a New Year's Six last year with Lane Kiffin, and of course, Kentucky at number seven. I mean, you start to look at it with what they've got on their schedule. If they can get through this game, that sets up a huge game with Tennessee in a couple weeks. Tennessee is ranked number eighth. Obviously, I just said Kentucky's number seven. So you got to like Kentucky's chances of being undefeated all the way up until the eighth game of the year when they play, or excuse me, the seventh game of the year when they play Tennessee. And then the winner, it's got to like an advance the bracket style <laughs> where the winner of that one is the most likely to beat Georgia the, that will set up the big East battle there. So I'm intrigued by that game because I think it's harder to predict. I think it's going to be closer. And I think the winner is going to be in borderline unprecedented territory with how highly ranked they'll be with the hype that will surround them. And look, when you're in the top 10, you're in the SEC, you absolutely get will get national coverage. And then not to mention, we've got the cross division dynamic in that Kentucky and Ole Miss don't play each other every single year. Every right. year, Ole Miss plays Vanderbilt. Every year, Kentucky plays Mississippi State. 
in those cross-division matchups. We do see Alabama and Arkansas play very frequently from time to time. I'm excited about both of these games. That's not an answer. I asked you guys to pick one of the two. And Cam, you think you're leaning more Ole Miss and Kentucky? Yeah, definitely. I agree with Ryan in the sense that Ole Miss and Kentucky, they're two two programs that aren't very, very um, aren't used to being very good, aren't used to being this high, especially really Kentucky. Um, I mean, they there seems like number just, seven yeah, I mean, Kentucky. Just overall, they're just consistently fighting to keep that that respect, not only within the SEC, but it seems like nationally ranked. Um, so they they just you know just seem to keep proving people wrong. You know, they're just games like Florida. I mean, they beat they beat Florida. That's that's a pretty relevant win in my opinion. Um, and with with Bama and Arkansas, I mean, it's just they play each other every year. Um, and Bama seems to always come out on top. Everybody, you know, whether it's upset alert, whatever, however it goes, it just always seems like Bama's always coming out on top. Um, so that's kind of the more predictable matchup. Like Ryan said, um, Kentucky and Ole Miss is just it's just not predictable. You just don't know what's going to happen. And either team, however that plays out, is going to end up in, in a much larger stage. They're going to they're going to be in the spotlight. And, and that's where you're going to see uh, how how both teams are going to respond as the season progresses. When's the last time Arkansas even beat Alabama? Was it 2007? Ryan, I was just thinking that myself. Alabama has won 14 straight games against Arkansas. You know, like respect to the matchup, and, and, you know, I get that Arkansas is 20, and and they are a good football team, but I I just – I even, would be more excited in, about if they beat Nane. Right. If they'd beat A and M, I think it would have been a lot closer, a lot more interesting. But I I just don't I don't see them beating Bama. I mean, even though Bama does have their flaws this year, I I just don't see it. September twenty third, two thousand and six. Oh, Arkansas beat Alabama by so a they've score never beaten twenty four twenty three. They've never beaten Nick Saban in Alabama. So ah. Fourteen straight wins for Alabama over Arkansas. And look, I, I mean, I'm not discrediting Arkansas to football as a football team. If they make a field goal or if KJ Jefferson doesn't fumble, return for a touchdown, they win that game. Yeah, They're in the top sure. ten right now because they sure. were number ten coming into that game. So right. the margin is very small on them, and I still ultimately think they'll win eight or nine games. But. Um, well, probably more like eight because they're going to definitely lose to Georgia as well. So that would put them down at nine three, and then chaos. So one more loss. But I still think they're about an eight win team. It's a decent team, uh, but again, it's just Alabama has just had their way with Arkansas. Obviously, overall, and Arkansas has had their teams. I know yeah. we think recently more of Chad Morris's failures, but Bobby Petrino for a couple of years had Arkansas in the top fifteen. They've had some ranked teams, so it's not like again. Every everyone in this league has some cycles where they are playing good football, and it does not matter when it comes to Arkansas and Alabama. But um, I, you know, the, the biggest thing with that game, if we're, we're just deep diving even further on that game, the biggest thing for me is to see if Alabama plays a more fluid road game yeah, because the last really year. Right. Last year, they were not very good on the road, relatively speaking. Of course, they lost to Texas A&M. They almost went to overtime with Florida if they Florida converts a two-point conversion. Um, they did not, obviously, play well in Auburn, as, and that's usually the case with Iron Bowl being in Auburn. But, obviously, they, they needed a last-minute drive to force overtime on Auburn. They did not play well on the road last year, and now their first game this year – they had to scratch and claw last-minute field goal to beat Texas, and that's even a Texas team that only got Quinn Ewers for a quarter. What what, what would have changed if Quinn yeah, Ewers played all four know. quarters? So um, they are they are clearly not playing as well as they're accustomed to on the road here the last 
12 months or so. So I think there is some element in intrigue going all the way back to the beginning with Tom picking Alabama and Arkansas. I think there is some intrigue to see if Alabama will play a more level-headed and composed road game. But I still just think, you know, until a team does, until you can actually see a team break through that barrier. It was the same thing with Saban last year and his assistants not beating him. Until Jimbo Fisher got that done, did Georgia really believe they could do it? You know, and then Georgia is able to do it, obviously, in the biggest game there was in the national title game. But, again, Arkansas, a team has not beaten – I think it's just like Tennessee, not beaten Nick Saban at Alabama until they actually do it. I, I'm not willing to go out on that limb and say it when Alabama is still clearly a really good football team. Field a guess, all three of you. Alabama and Arkansas – Alabama has won 14 straight games in this series. The Razorbacks have not won since 2006. What is the average margin of victory for Alabama against Arkansas over the last 14 years? What is the average margin of victory? I'm going to say 32 points because Arkansas has been terrible. Yeah. I mean, they – that's part of why Alabama has won. This 14. number is fascinating. That's why Alabama's won so many consecutive. I mean, you got to remember that Chad Morris was their head coach. Well, one time. if you were I, Arkansas has been. We awful. were just talking about this, but I also remember Bobby Petrino and Arkansas had teams where they were very highly ranked as well. Right. Well, there were a so few I, there. I just, literally he. Just, Tom literally just said what I said. Everyone's going to think of Chad Morris, but there was also years where they were ranked, where they right. had Petrino and that sort of thing, but. I do think that is pretty going to be a pretty big margin because I'm just I'm only thinking of one or two Arkansas Bama games that were respectively close. I'll go I'll go like 25. Yeah, I was going to say 25 as well actually. <laughs> I'll go 24. <laughs> Let's split the middle. 28.1. The average margin of victory in 2012 and in 2013 alone. Two straight years, Alabama won by a score of 52-0. to zero. Mm. Could you imagine playing the same team, an SEC game, in two straight seasons you lose 52 nothing. Yeah. Alabama has also it's won 52-3, 48-7, 41-9, 38-7, 41-9, 38-7, 41-9, 38-7, 41-9, 38-7, 41-9, 38-7, 41-9, 38-7, 41-9, 38-7, 41-9, 38-7, 41-9, 38-7
Welcome back into the program. It's Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson, Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry inside our studios. Don't miss the spooktacular blood drive coming up on Monday, October 10th from noon until 6 p.m. Central in Tiger Town. Help our friends over at LifeSouth. Blood donors will get a spooktacular t-shirt and a $20 e-gift card. Food and fun for all donors. Again, look for the Blood Mobile near McDonald's in Tiger Town Monday, October 10th from noon until 6 p.m. Help us and our friends over at LifeSouth. Let's keep this weekend preview going for the SEC. Texas A&M and Mississippi State. Only a field goal separates these two teams in Las Vegas. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, so I think this is a very important game, in particular for Mississippi State. I mean, you can argue you're still relatively early in the year. You can argue for what Texas A&M is attempting to do with the talent they have. You shouldn't be losing to Mississippi State, and you start to worry when a team is hyped like that. They were preseason, what, sixth or fifth or something in there. You can argue that once you take on a second or a third loss, you're really going to start to lose the team. Um, if you're if you're not careful, so I think it's important in that respect for AM. However, I think you're just trying to prevent a bad season if you're Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State favored in this game despite being unranked and in AM being number 17. You know, you look down the line at Mississippi State, and I always and I always do this with teams early in the year because you know bowl games for the bottom half of teams in the SEC are the first you need check mark you need to right. make sure you make a bowl game it's not a given for teams usually like Florida LSU and I'm not even gonna say Alabama Georgia that's obvious but right. for Florida LSU Auburn to degree you know you're expecting that every single year it's not really an accomplishment when you get that six win but for teams usually the Mississippis which is why if usually for Kentucky you know and and those are those are situations where the first check of an acceptable season is making a bowl right, game. Right. And so for Mississippi State, they got they're going to have a four zero non conference. They've won that game at Arizona. They're going to be East Tennessee State in the eleventh game of the year. So they got that four. But you got to find two SEC wins. And I would have said LSU is an opportunity just so early in the Brian Kelly era. Despite the talent, that was an opportunity. LSU did a great job against the Air Raid yeah, and did. was able to. St- stuff will rogers unlike he's really been stuffed many times so i start to look at other opportunities for mississippi state and to be fair this is college football and state's not a bad team so i don't know how many games other than the alabama game and of course they do have georgia unfortunately as they're drawing the east other than those two i don't know how many just say there's no chance mississippi state wins because i still think there's a chance they can you know talent wise are they really that far behind kentucky i mean you know you just just start to go through it but um if they don't win this game, you know they're going to have losses to Bama and Georgia, so that's four losses. And then you've got a pot here where, you know, you if you're state, you would probably like your chances against Auburn right now. I think right. every SEC team is starting to try See. and circle Auburn as we yep. got to have that one. But then you still got to find something, whether that's host Arkansas, which is next week, the host A&M game, like I said, this week, right. at Kentucky. So you don't like that. That's on the road. And then, obviously, you got that egg ball at the end of the year, and Ole Miss is going yeah. to host that game. Ole Miss looks to be a really good team. So, again, A&M still falls in the category for me as the 
as the more likely or the better chance games for them. Uh, better chance than I would say at Kentucky or better chance than I would say at Ole Miss, despite it being a rival. So just the value of being at home in the SEC. We're going to talk a lot about that with, with Auburn this week, is if this was in Death Valley, I don't know if anyone would pick Auburn to win. Right. Uh, and most people will still pick LSU, but the one thing that Auburn can cling to is Jordan-Hare Stadium and being at home, and hopefully more voodoo things yeah, happen to the, to the Cajun team. Just blanket <laughs> um, over us. But for State, that's what I'm looking at here is can the Cowbells have an effect? A&M still has a poor offense overall. Uh, don't be deceived by that point total against Arkansas because, again, seven of them were from a 98-yard fumble return. Right. Um, so, And State's defense is not awful. It's not great. It's not bad. But it shouldn't be one that just caves all of a sudden at Max Johnson. So I think this is a low-scoring game. Um I'm leaning towards State, but I've been so negative on A&M since the App State game, and they've bitten me twice now. So <laughs> I'm not really convicted by it, but I do think this is a close, low-scoring game. I, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's a very close game. Um, I, don't, I don't know I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be low-scoring, but I don't think it's going to be a super high-scoring uh, game. No, I, middle of the road I, I think middle-of-the-road game. Yeah, I think it'll be a middle-of-the-road type of uh, – Over-under is yeah. 45, so – yeah, yeah, um, that's 24-21. Yeah, I, you know, I'm the I'm the same way. As like I kind of feel like I want to lean Mississippi State on that one. Uh, maybe mainly I guess home field advantage. But I mean, Texas A&M is still they're the better team, but they've kind of done exactly what I said was going to happen yeah. preseason. They've underperformed. Right. Well, the thing that I said in preseason was, listen, they've got all this talent, and they've just they just brought in like the the best recruiting class that it has ever had. And you're probably going to have to rely on some of those superstar freshmen and things like that. However, it's still Jimbo Fisher. Prove it to me, Jimbo. That, Jimbo that's been that is my that has been my whole thing is prove it to me. You've got talent, but you have also had talent before and haven't been able to do anything with it. And that's been but even before A and M. So prove it to me. Prove to me that you are a national title caliber coach on a consistent basis. And, of course, that's what we've seen. Um, I still do think that they are the better team, though, and so that's why I'm, I'm hesitant to lean very heavily towards Mississippi State because I do know Texas A&M is just better. Uh, Let me and, ask. And, you know, and I think they have enough of a defense that can stop the, the offense that Mississippi State wants to run, and so that's why I'm going to lean more A&M on that one because I think the defense can – hold Mississippi State at bay a little bit and score just enough to be able to get that dub. Right. Well, let me ask you guys a question. So, we say A&M is better. I, there's no debate they're more talented. Yeah. Well, that's what, but, I, mean. That's what but, I mean. Because I was going to ask, is what – does Mississippi State do what they do better? Like what they would like to do? Do they execute that better? Or does Texas A&M execute what they want to execute better? Mississippi right. State executes better. The, I'm looking at the numbers right now. I mean, 37 points per game, 27, towards 21 points allowed per game. But I mean, Texas A&M's defense as is averaging 11 allowed per game. So their defense is really yeah, good. Their yeah. defense is yeah. really good. Um, that's why. I, that's why I say that I lean. I. It's kind of where I was like, my mind kind of wants to say Mississippi State, but then. My reality is like it's Texas A&M. Either because, way, you see some maroon, and you're just like, yeah. 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 Like, <laughs> which one is it going to? Do you remember the? Uh, right, it was right, those right. two teams that played in the bowl game in the in the snow in Shreveport. Yes. One, uh, yep. Back They're in two thousand, I think. It I was. wouldn't have known that if they don't show it every year. The yeah. two teams because I think now. because I think yes. Mississippi State wore white 
uniforms. Oh they wore the gosh. white helmets yeah, and all, but but I mean disaster. it was a but it was an absolute blizzard in right. Shreveport, Louisiana, right. the Pool and Weed Eater Independence Bowl or whatever it was called <laughs> at the time. An absolute blizzard in northern Louisiana of all dadgum things. That's crazy. And those two teams were playing each other. And, I mean, it was epic. So, like, from the TV cameras up top, you could barely even see what was going on on the yeah, field. Yeah. And then, of course, Mississippi State wearing white blended in with the snow. But, uh, anyway, we I just completely went off track I there. I couldn't imagine watching that game. It was, it or was, even – I really couldn't even imagine playing that game. Yeah. Especially if I can't I'm imagine playing that. against white jerseys. Uh, I can't imagine that much snow coming down in Louisiana. Right. Even yeah. even though it is northern Louisiana, that just was like it's the baffling that that much snow was falling in the state of Louisiana. But anyway, uh, yeah. I'm, Let me pose another. Do you want me to uh, pose another question? Sure. Um, does it have any value? Does it matter at all to you that next week is when Texas A and M plays at Alabama? Do do they usually you look ahead? I'm not looking ahead, but with A and M already having a loss, right? Do you think they'll be more concentrated? Because I feel like if they were undefeated, they, they might, might start to look ahead vision, a little bit. Yeah. But they can't really afford to look ahead. I wouldn't think with one loss. So does it matter at all to you that they play Bama in two weeks? Now, you know, if it was, I don't. Think I, I think I think if forward. I think if it was a I think if it was a much weaker team, let's say if it, let's just say it was Missouri. Let's say it was Missouri okay. yep. right now. I get. I I think if it was a team like Missouri, then I could see, I could see them maybe looking ahead. Yeah. But I but I think I think Mississippi State is is good enough that I that they're not gonna they're not gonna be able to overlook them, and I don't think they will overlook them just because, it, you know, A and M. Even though they're a more talented team, I, I think they realize that Mississippi State is a team that could absolutely beat them. Oh yeah! So you can't be looking ahead now. For sure, for you know, sure. like I said, if it's Vanderbilt or Missouri or Auburn, then right now, then you're just like, mm. I'd still I, worry. I don't think because A and M's been talking yeah, a lot and, about this Bama game all off season. I just don't think A and M can overlook anybody, no. especially after losing to App State, right? I feel like that's probably a pretty solid wake up call. You lose to App State at home. You know, in front of all has A and M really been talking about Bama, or has it been the media talking about I mean, it because of the whole controversy that happened between Saban and Jimbo in the offseason? The media has done a little bit of it, I think, but I, I do know, I do know that players on social media for both sides, right, have been talking about um, I, it. Has it been? It hasn't been this public rah 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 anti Alabama, but they're talking. They've I, been I they've, they've been tweeting. Those two, two I don't October think they 8th. can o- afford to overlook yeah. anybody. No, I, I just don't. So, and the one thing I would add to this is that the same circumstance happened last year. A and M, of course, it would, you would flip the locations. A and M hosted Mississippi, or excuse me, went. No, yeah, they hosted Mississippi State right. before they hosted Alabama. A and M lost to Mississippi State twenty six twenty two in College Station. Yeah. They then. Zach Calzada had the incredible game. They then upset Alabama. It actually kind of worked against Alabama. Alabama then saw a two-loss A&M team that had just lost back-to-back weeks to Arkansas and Mississippi State, and they probably no longer thought that Texas A&M was of that same caliber. But interesting thing there that they these two teams, it was the exact same position in the schedule. The October 2nd is when they played last year Mm -hmm. as opposed to October 1st this year, and A&M did lose to Mississippi State. 334-887-3401 334-887-3401 or toll-free at one 9 tiger 9 if you would like to call in and be a part of the program. We're getting set for another exciting week 
of college football coming up in the SEC. Let's take our next time out here on the program. Sports Call continues in a moment. All of the biggest names in the sports world want to be on Sports Call. We are very excited to be joined by ESPN's Adam Amin. Bring on a very special guest, a good friend of the program, a former host of this very show, and the current voice of the Auburn Tigers, the one and only Andy Burcham. We get the opportunity to welcome in Mr. Phil Steele into our program. Be sure to listen to our conversations with athletes, coaches, and media personalities on the Sports Call Podcast. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into the program. It's Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ, Tom, Ryan, and Cam all inside our studios here on South College Streets. Hope that you're doing well here today on this Wednesday. As we continue to move forward here on Sports Call Today, we want to celebrate our birthdays in sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. All right, birthdays in sports here today on September 28th, 2022. Birthdays in sports brought to you by Max Credit Union, two convenient locations in our area to serve you. One in Auburn on Gay Street, one in Opelika on Frederick Road. Happy birthday today to Tyler Lockett who's turning 30 years old, a wide receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. He's, he's one of those guys that if, you have, if you're like a fantasy owner. like Love him or hate him. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had him last year, and I, it was like I, I didn't know what to do with him. I was like, do I yeah, bench him? Do I start him? I put him on the know. bench, and I'd put him on the bench, and he'd give me 30 points. Yeah. I was like, goodness. I'd put him back in, and he'd give me like one. He'd have like. One catch for five yards. One of the most hot and cold fans. Yeah, I'm like, good lord. Easily. He was a three-star wide receiver in the class of 2010 and played at Kansas State, where his father and uncle also played wide receiver. Lockett was a game-changer immediately in Manhattan and a Big 12 Freshman of the Year. Two-time All-American, a member of the Kansas State Ring of Honor, taken in the third round of the 2015 NFL Draft by the Seahawks, where he is still at today a one-time Pro Bowler, and a one-time All-Pro. Happy 30th birthday to Tyler Lockett. Let's move forward. Anderson Verjao is celebrating his birthday today. He is 40 years old. The former NBA center, Verjao was born in Sao Paulo and played pro basketball in Brazil for several years before being drafted in 2004 and joining the Cleveland Cavaliers. He spent 17 years in the NBA with 15 seasons coming in Cleveland. He is known as a solid defender, a staple of the Brazilian national team, and known for his locks. The Afro, Anderson Verajal, 40 years old today. Was, he not, was he not your most irrationally favorite I player on the, those yeah. first Cavs teams? So much swag. What a, I mean, Had a lot of fun. Like the most spastic 10-7 yeah. right. that you've ever seen. For sure. A lot of heart, a lot of love. Anderson Verajal, 40 years old. Jose Calderon is 41 today. The former NBA guard is now an executive for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Calderon was born in Spain where he was a Spanish League star and member of the Spanish national team. Signed with the Raptors in 2005, 
played for several teams in the NBA over a 14-year career. Jose Calderon, 41 years old today. Happy birthday to Ryan Zimmerman, 38 years old today, a former infielder for the Washington Nationals. He grew up in Virginia and was a three-year starter for his home state Cavaliers. As a senior for the University of Virginia, he was a unanimous All-American, drafted fourth overall in 2005 as the first ever draft pick in the history of the Washington Nationals and was called up to the majors within a year. He spent the entirety of his 15-year career in Washington, earning the nickname Mr. National, a two-time All-Star, one-time Gold Glove Award winner, two-time Silver Slugger, and one-time World Series champion. His number 11 jersey is retired by the Nationals. Ryan Zimmerman, 38 years old today. I think that Mr. National nickname is fitting for him. Again, you're the very first draft pick in the history of the franchise. You win a World Series. You're a multi-time All-Star. And uh, your number 11 jersey retired by Washington. Manuel Margot is 28 years old today, a center fielder for the Tampa Bay Rays. Born in the Dominican Republic, signed by the Red Sox in 2011. He was traded to the Padres in 2015 and made his debut the next season. Now an everyday starter for the Rays. Manuel Margot is 28 years old. And then last but not least, Eddie Rosario is 31 years old, an outfielder for the Atlanta Braves. Rosario was born in Puerto Rico and drafted in 2010 by the Twins. After a few years in the minors, he was called up in 2015 and hit a home run in his first at-bat. In 2021, he joined the Atlanta Braves and was named the NLCS MVP after hitting 571 with two homers and a walk-off in the series. He also won the World Series with the Atlanta Braves. Eddie Rosario, 31 years old today. How do you assess his play post-eye surgery this season? Well, finally in September, last yeah. two weeks or so, he's gotten to go because all up until then, he was still under 200 for the season. He's gearing um, up for playoff baseball. And, yeah, so the last couple weeks has been very needed for him to get going as some of the bigger-name players for the Braves have been a little less consistent. And so, you're, I mean, you've been really needing something like Eddie to get going, and, and he has. And so it's been it's clearly been better since the eye surgery. Uh, but but as of late here, it's back to starting caliber baseball. Happy birthday, Eddie Rosario, 31 years old today. That is our birthdays in sports. Brought to you by Max Credit Union on September 28th. Tyler Lockett, Anderson Verjao, Jose Calderon, Ryan Zimmerman, Eddie Rosario, and Manuel Margot all celebrating their birthdays here today on September 28th. 334-887-3401 or toll-free one 9 tiger 9 if you would like to call in and be a part of today's show. Uh, before we end the opening hour of the program, let's talk about our newest Sports Call Player of the Week. Sports Call's Player of the Week. Albert Pujols' Sports Call's Player of the Week, presented by Eric McDade's State Farm. Last Friday, Pujols clubbed two home runs against the Los Angeles Dodgers to become the fourth player in MLB history to hit 700 home runs, joining Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, and Babe Ruth. Pujols hit his first MLB homer in 2001 and has played for the Cardinals, Angels, and Dodgers in his career. He is the only player in MLB history to hit 700 homers, have over 3,000 hits, and over 650 doubles. Albert Pujols' Sports Call's Player of the Week. Albert Pujols, Sports Call's Player of the Week, presented by Eric McDade State Farm and Fitting. Two home runs last Friday night. He has now hit 
800, as you just heard in his career. Only four people have ever done that before. Yeah, uh, and I mentioned it when I was on the show Monday because that was when we did Best and Worst. That was my best yeah. uh, of the weekend. Uh, the only thing I said, I'll say it again, I said it Monday, I just wish you'd been able to do it in St. Louis in front of the home fans because while it is a special accomplishment, that's one of those that you really, really hope you can do in front of your home fans, kind of like Hank Aaron did the, the record-breaking home run. Uh, Mark McGuire's, I remember, record-breaking home run uh, was in St. Louis. So it just gives it such a, a bigger, better atmosphere. But he got it done, and he hit the 699 and 700 in the same game. And, uh, I mean, what an accomplishment. I, to be the only, the only the fourth player to, to do that. And I think I saw something where uh, there was, like, some comparison to him and Tom Brady. Like, he, like when Pujols hit his first home run, Brady had... Yeah, 2001 yeah. was when Pujols hit his first homer. And Brady's kind of stepping into his own there right. in 2001 as well. And both those guys still at the peak of their powers. I, I, yeah. I, doing I, their thing. It was something like Tom Brady had... had had only seven total passing yards at the time that Pujols hit his first home run. <laughs> How about Something that? Like that? Wow. That's pretty special, man. man. Been, been and now both of their time. numbers are a little different. A well, little different. Both, both now future Hall of Famers. No doubt about that. Multi-time champions in their sport. Yeah. Big-time stars uh, for a couple of different franchises for I, both of those guys. I'm glad Tom got above 700 yards, though. Yeah. It's <laughs> well, amazing. Seven yards. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, no, I'm saying, I'm, but I'm saying, like, pull holes for 700 homers. You get uh, 700 yeah, or something yeah. in the NFL, and it's like, true. yeah, don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Albert Pujols, our sports call player of the week. Kind of wild. Alex Rodriguez got to 696. That was the last kind of big name chasing that. 700 homer milestone joining Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, and Babe Ruth. And uh, I don't know who would be the next guy after Pujols. Aaron uh, Judge. If anybody's going to be able to get there. Um, Judge kind of started Judge? later. And well, that's you true. You have to be so – you have to meet so many criteria for this. So I'll explain to you why real quick. Why you can't, Even though Judge is incredible. I, well, well, and Judge, and right now Judge is – was he chasing sixty one for the right. year? But he's he's chasing sixty one for like yeah, no, five he, games now. But uh, the only reason longer. the only reason I say Judge is just because he just I mean he just every year he just piles up the home runs and piles them up and piles them up and so it seems like he could be a guy that catch could catch him if he'd stay healthy. Mike Trout could potentially be a guy. So Judge, two hundred eighteen career homers. Right, he is age thirty. Oh, so wow. he'd have to yeah. hit if he hit forty a year for ten years, he'd be at six eighteen at age forty. Oh goodness. Okay. Mike so, yeah, Trout Again, the things you have to do because you essentially have to start if young. you hit thirty home runs a year for twenty years, right. you're still a hundred hundred right. short. That's what's so crazy about it. Right. If you hit forty for fifteen years, I think you're at 600. I mean, that may, that so makes you, what Pujols did even more special, which is yep. why there's only four people that have Ever. done it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. For the record, Trout. 347 at age 31. 31. Yep. And so he's well behind the pace. Bryce Harper is 29 years old. He's at 289. Yeah. Sheesh, Just throwing man. out some you big ha- home you, run hits. Well, well, the thing is, you, I mean, you've, we got to be talking about somebody that is – 
22 that is already piling up a lot of home runs. Right. 22 or 23 that yeah, already got to be young has a you whole bunch going. of home runs. So like like an Acuna, you, Acuna, Jordan Alvarez of the Astros. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think uh, he would have Juan Soto. Juan Soto is probably the the yeah. best one right now, just because of Acuna's injury that not only threw him out of last year, but also has affected his home run total this year. Just for the record, Soto is at 124. That's only like 100 behind Judge. He's 23. Right. He's seven years younger. Um, Acuna is at 120, and he's 24. So he's a year older than Soto, eight behind Soto. And then uh, what else do we, we – uh, Alvarez. Let me check on Jordan Alvarez real quickly. He's at 98 home runs, and he's 24. So – no, I'm sorry, he's 25. So Alvarez is not. Uh, Alvarez is already out. Even though his second full year in the league, he's got 37 home runs in 129 games. Yeah. No, I'm just telling you, Juan Alvarez will not make it. He's, he's, that, that's how hard it is. How many does the um, Rodriguez have this year? I know he's a rookie, right? But Julio. Yeah, uh, hang on. I think he hit like 20, 20? or 21, yeah, and now yeah. he's hurt, so he's about uh, done. Yeah. Um, because I know he had that. Maybe he hit like twenty five. Hang on. Uh, he's hit twenty seven. Twenty seven. He is twenty one years old, and he is on the injured list right now. Ah. So he probably finished at twenty seven. That's tough. Mike Trout, three hundred and forty seven career home runs. Fifth. He's halfway there. Fifth <laughs> among active players. Uh huh. In career home runs, who's ahead of him? Nelson Cruz is third. Obviously, pull holes. Yes, is first. Mm. Arenado? No. No. So we're Nelson at, Cruz has hit 459 career home runs. It's a lot, but he's very old, so I don't know if he get the 500. <laughs> Albert Pujols has hit 700. Uh-huh. That's insane. So there's one guy that's hit more than 459. Correct. Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera has hit 506. Yeah, and he's about done. Um... So who's four? Someone with around four hundred homers. Um, I, I don't know. I can't. I know it just can't be dead air. I'm just trying to think. I'm sorry. And you're don't good at this at stuff. And you're going to get mad when I tell you the name. That's why I don't want to tell you the uh-huh. name. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, that's why I'm trying to think through it. Um, but I want you Freddy. to stay on the East Coast. Oh, yeah, easy. John Carlos Hand. Giancarlo yep. Stanton, 375 home runs in his yeah. career. Again, these are like Just the most powerful of hitters of this generation, and they're nowhere near. <laughs> like, Stanton's not even going to have a chance. That He's not going to get 600. We like yeah. chasing milestones, but Tom, like you said, that's just reason enough to be kind of in awe of what Pujols has been able to do. That's crazy, man. all of these superstars. Yeah. Still aren't going to get up to that 700 the one, number. The one I hate is that Ken Griffey Jr. got hurt a little too much because he finished in the mid 600s, and he had like a full season and a half of missed games in his prime, and then he missed some games with the Reds. And he missed, I think he also missed about three seasons worth of games. And, oh yeah, he probably. Yeah. Who knows where he yeah. could have gone? So yeah. Pujols, and I don't know the age. Pujols had 445 home runs through his first 11 seasons. Good stuff. He hit he hit 37 in his rookie year. We've reached the end of hour number one. Albert Pujols, the sports call player of the week. One hour in the books, and we're rolling.
One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starts right now on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry. We hope that you're doing well on this Wednesday. The Sports Call podcast is brought to you by Coca-Cola. If you ever miss Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure that you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy an ice-cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk Coca-Cola, taste the feeling. As we get you set for the next two hours here of the program, we'll chat with Joe Bartle from Rotowire for some fantasy football advice ahead of this upcoming week's NFL games. We will also have our hump day update here in a matter of moments. We're going to let you hear our conversation with Chris Busher once again during today's program as NASCAR heads to Talladega this upcoming weekend. Certainly going to enjoy uh, getting a chance to hear that once again. And, uh, yeah, if you want to be a part of the show, call us, 334-887-3401. Uh, one thing we haven't even mentioned on the show, but I, I want to go ahead and say it since I'm looking at video, but, you know, definitely thoughts. If any of our listeners have family and friends and all down in Florida, especially around the Fort Myers area, uh, man, rough down there is uh, Hurricane Inn. Uh, making landfall down there around that south of Tampa. And, man, some of the video coming out of there is not good. I'm looking, I'm literally looking at a video from Fort Myers where the storm surge came up, and there is a shark swimming around in Fort Myers, Florida. <laughs> so uh, That's crazy. It, it, it's a lot of damage. Uh, we were talking off the air, I mean, but that hurricane was, what, two, mile, two miles per hour short of being a Category 5? I mean, yep. so that's how devastating of a, of a hurricane this is that it was that close to being a Category 5, which is That's obviously insane. the strongest. Uh, doing a lot of damage. Uh, and so, yeah, thoughts with all the folks down there in Florida because, unfortunately, uh, once all said and done, there's going to be some loss of life down there. Um, definitely loss of property uh, and a lot of rebuilding down there. So, you know, thoughts, prayers, whatever, good feelings, good vibes and all for the for the folks down there in the uh, – Tampa, St. Pete, and south of, you know, towards Fort Myers area. Never like to see things like this, and uh, it is one of those moments that all these sports uh, teams, leagues, fan bases, everybody comes together uh, when you've got the event like a natural disaster like this taking place. Uh, So, yeah, Tom, you're exactly right. We certainly do uh, send our thoughts and prayers down there to Florida. If you would want to be a part of the show, call us, 334-887-3401 or toll-free at one 9 tiger 9 if you would like to call in and be a part of Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. A win last night for the Braves. 
A loss last night for the New York Mets means they are tied with just seven games remaining in the regular season as both teams try to win the National League Eastern Division. The Braves are trying to win it for the fourth of the one four in a row for the fifth straight season. Uh, the Braves want to be NL East champions. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. hit a couple of home runs last night. That was good to see him get his bat going. Dansby Swanson has been great this season. Michael Harris II continues to be everybody's favorite. Uh, Matt Olson has had the worst month of his entire life. He's been terrible. Uh, and Austin Riley, we don't talk about Riley as much these days uh, with what Austin Riley's been able to do. I, I was going to say, though, Matt Olson had been, had the worst of his career, but here over the last little bit, he's started and he hit the ball. And so if he can, as you're starting to get towards postseason play, if, if he if his bat can get hot again like it was early on and, and not this past month, the Braves could very much need that bat. And, you know, fortunately he's kind of started hitting the ball a little bit. Uh, so maybe. And then Michael Harris, I, I don't know how he's not rookie of the year. I, I mean, really the Braves have two guys that could be potential rookie of the year. But, I, I mean, Michael Harris, specifically since he plays every single day, that, that kid is incredible. Yeah, he's a dog. He had a ball last night off his bat. It was to tie the game up at two. It was very big at bat, two runners, one base, two out. And he hit one on a line that I don't think got more than 15 feet off the ground. But the right fielder just what, did not know what to do because it was so low. And it just kept going. It went straight over his head. Yeah. And off the bat, it was like, oh, man, that's a liner. I, I thought the same thing. That's a liner right at the right fielder. Hit it like 108 miles per hour, per hour off the bat. And it flew right over his head to the edge of the warning track. Yeah. And and that guy, we, we asked Ben Ingram about it yesterday. That guy has been, in my opinion, I, I might even go a step further, not only the most consistent outfielder for the Braves – it would be hard to argue anyone's been more consistent overall for the Braves. There's sure. been guys that have had great seasons like Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, etc., but they've all had peaks and valleys. Like even right now, Austin Riley, a little bit of a valley right now. I mean, right. he's That's back into the two, upper 270s when he was in the 290s and it's only hit a couple home runs this month, and his standard is high. I get that. But, again, not to his standard. Um, Dansby Swanson well. was yep. near 300 as an average. Now he's around 280. Um but Michael Harris has been right around 300 all year long. And I expected at some point for – Yeah, because he was a rookie, and a lot of rookies come on the scene. I, I, I don't know. Uh, there's some guys that have – like Trevor Story had his first month of his career was insane. Uh, I remember Jock Peterson hit like 82 home runs, it felt like, in a month when right. he joined the Dodgers. But all these guys, the next month, it's that second month where pitchers now have a scouting report and they adjust to you and you have to adjust back. And there's never been an adjustment that Michael Harris has not handled. There was a period where they were throwing him a lot of breaking balls. He started to golf those. He's always been able to go the other way. He's hit for power. He's hit 19 home runs. He's just been awesome. And, again, the Braves locking him up long-term. It Look, it, there is some risk in it if you have a million injuries or you do have the scouting report change and you don't adjust to it, but uh, I mean, yeah, he he looks like he could be a perennial all-star in this league and so ha Michael Harris has been just huge for Atlanta. Braves go for the series sweep over the Washington Nationals tonight and then of course as of right now, off day tomorrow and then that three-game series with the Mets 
coming up this weekend. Let's take our first time out here of hour number two of Sports Call today. On the other side, it's a hump day update coming your way right after this on Tiger 95.9 FM. Tweeters. Follow our sports call host, J.J. Jackson, on Twitter by searching at underscore J.J. underscore Jackson underscore. And follow the show on Twitter by searching at Sports Call AU. Hashtag, is that two words? Now back to more Sports Call with J.J. Jackson and the guys. Sports Call can now be heard on Amazon Alexa devices. Open the Alexa app on your iPhone or Android and tap the menu icon at the top left. Tap Skills and Games in the menu and search for Sports Call Auburn. Select the skill, then tap Enable to Use, and you're done. All you have to do now is say, Hey Alexa, play Sports Call Auburn, and you're listening to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry. And uh, we do this each and every week on Wednesdays. I think it's time we provide you with your Hump Day update. Time for your Sports Call Hump Day update on the Campbell Gamble's football team. It's your hump day update. The Campbell fighting camels. We got to talk about them here on the program today. Gaylord the camel. What's been going on with that football team in Bowie's Creek? Uh, not a good weekend, but it was kind of one of those expected deals uh, for camel. But uh, they... East Carolina, right? Yeah. Two At... weekends ago. Two weekends ago was East Carolina. Bye was... week. Oh, they, they... The bye week. They had a bye week. Yep. Okay. So did we not do a hump day update last nope. Wednesday? Nope. I think was I on that? Yeah. I yeah. I don't uh, know. We did not do one. You know what? That's no. what that's I was getting we conf- had Eric McDade on that. Yeah. Man, week. that's right. I you know, in my head I was thinking, I was like, did we not do it? We an did update? cover the no, bases with Eric yeah, McDade. You're you're right. This is the last game that's played, the most and, recent and we run. did not cover we this didn't game. Cover it. But it was September seventh. Brooks okay. did a hump day update on a Thursday last week, which was really strange. Uh, Which defeats the purpose of the hump day. Absolutely defeats the purpose, but we'll let Brooks to have that creative freedom to do such things. Let's talk about East Carolina. Okay, well, what happened? uh, Campbell Campbell got beat forty-nine to ten by the East Carolina Pirates. But East Carolina is FBS team. Yeah, FBS team uh, for East Carolina. You know, that's probably one of those where they paid a pretty good amount of money for Campbell to come and play them. So uh, you know, a win for Campbell because they probably made a good amount of money. Uh, but East Carolina wins 49-10. to Campbell was up in this game 10-7 to after the end of the first quarter, but then East Carolina oh. – Yeah, 10-7 <laughs> to at the end of the first quarter, but then East Carolina rattled off 14 in the second, 21 in the third, and then 7 in the fourth to win that one 49-10. to Yeah. 
So uh, not a good not a good weekend. They had the adjustments. For, they made the adjustments and, and the, the shut them out the, the rest the, of the game. The the camels just couldn't the fighting camels just couldn't lost get it their done. fight. Yeah. The fighting dromedaries. Well, <laughs> and good for East Carolina because East Carolina sometimes um, they've been kind of disappointing as an AAC program the last few years. They've had some under five hundred teams and they damn near almost beat NC State. Yep. earlier this year again yeah. kickers just unbelievable at times uh if they had a kicker they would have beaten nc state but uh they are are still well invested in what's going on there it appears ryan i feel like you would be in the um do away with kickers crowd <laughs> i mean not completely but like every time <laughs> there are very few fourth down decisions that i'm not okay with there's so few they just if you're past you're like, midfield and it's fourth and five or less, there's just never really a time where I'm like, nah, I would have, I would have kicked that, punt it or field goal wise. I just, I just don't. I mean, unless you have Justin Tucker, right, I just right. don't. Which in college, you don't, you don't. You don't. <laughs> so pro teams, I'm more okay with forty and fifty yard field goals, but I would just, I would avoid a fifty yard field goal or a four or a clutch forty five yard field goal in college like the right. plague. I would just avoid that at all costs. Uh, for Campbell, uh, quarterback Haj Malik Williams, uh, pretty good day. Twenty three of thirty eight for three hundred yards with a touchdown and an interception. However, East Carolina had a big game from uh, Mitchell Keaton, thirteen carries, one hundred and eighty five yards Oof. and a touchdown. That always happens in the FCA. You have like four like forty yard gashes. Yeah. And you just, it's well, and he had one. His, his long was forty two. Yep, there uh, it is. Averaged he averaged fourteen point two yards per carry. Yep, Yeesh. that's that's big. Uh, that one time they held him to three yards though was very exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, for East Carolina, also Holton Aylers, their quarterback, seventeen of twenty two hundred sixty three yards and three touchdowns. So uh, that was the leaders there. He's a um, lefty. Back over there for uh, Campbell. I mentioned Haj Malik Williams. Uh, their leading rusher for the fighting Camels was uh, Naquari Rogers. 13 carries for 41 yards. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, tough tough weekend there for, for our Campbell fighting Camels as they fall to East Carolina. But, again, that was on September the 17th. Right. So they had a week they off. They had a week off before say, they get ready to play North Carolina Central. Bounce where, back week. Where's the optimism? Like, like where can you got we put three straight optimism? home games. That's where the optimism and is. And you had a week off, right? You so don't any, just come in and mess with the fighting camels. Any nicks and bruises that might be there. Look, we've had a full week to rest and recover. Some R&R. That's right. And so it's North Carolina Central this weekend. North yep. Carolina Central. In-state battle there. Letterman's Day. Letterman's Day. Campbell football. Come on! They also lead their conference at one and two. Campbell does? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, baby. Yeah. The, the, I mean, we're starting Big South <laughs> playing two weeks. This is our this is the last non-con. Gotta game get for there, man. Gotta get there. Tom, do you still believe? Because I believe in this team. Absolutely, man. Mike Minter is one of my favorite Carolina Panther safeties of all time. Now the head coach of Campbell. Let's do something. Let's Keep pounding. Let's defense. go. Yeah. Let's play some defense. And 49 to 10, that's unacceptable. We went into the film room. We made some adjustments. Watch out, Central. We're coming. And, look, we're doing hey. stuff each of the next three weeks because, like I said, three straight home games to North Carolina Central's Letterman's Day. October 8th against Charlton, Charleston Southern. It's homecoming. Okay. Slash fighting camel club day. All right. Hey. You're in the club. That's your day. And October 15th against Robert Morris. These are back-to-back Big South tilts. Uh, military Appreciation Day. So we got we got big events planned. Plenty of reasons to come and weeks. watch some football. 
Do it, please. What time is the game on Saturday? Yeah, it's a noon Eastern kick Okay. On ESPN Plus and the Varsity Network. The uh, Auburn Tigers, they don't play until 7 p.m. Eastern yeah, watch the on Saturday. Lead up to it. That's a seven-hour difference between the two games. I can't wait, man. I'm I, so excited. I wish there I wish there was a, a TV station or something would get more would do more of the small games. I don't remember what channel it was. It may have been the old I don't remember if it was the old CSS or not, but uh Probably. But that I mean, like periodically you could find you could find Campbell like playing against I don't know, North Carolina Central, let's just say. I, something was neat about watching teams that you just don't ever see seeing their stadiums and kind of their own little right. atmosphere yeah, and just kind of yeah. the settings of how they did. That was just – it was kind of neat to see those games. And now you just don't see those – all the big teams have every game and you can't find uh, – unless you're streaming, unless you do a streaming service and, and find it. The, but no TVs are broadcasting. I think that's a shame to – I think some of those smaller teams deserve to jump on TV every now and then. I feel like CBS Sports Network would show some colonial – some like Delaware, some right. James Mad athletics. Like I can think of college basketball. I feel like I'm seeing like Delaware Blue Hens on on right. there all the time. But um, I know Stadium, which not everyone has, but some cable providers have Stadium. Stadium does some small stuff. Um, I remember with CSS a lot. I'd, I'd watch countless UAB stuff on CSS. Um, so I don't really remember as much any FCS stuff, but. Yeah, there's always been a channel where you usually have more of the lower tier stuff, but I think I don't know if it's what as readily available no. now. But see, I, I remember like whatever channel it was because it's a team that Campbell plays on November the twelfth. But Gardner Webb, I remember like watching Gardner Webb against Tusculum, like that type of game on there. I was like, this is kind of cool. Yeah. I don't know what's cool about it, but it's just kind of neat because it's different. Campbell noon Eastern kickoff, watching on ESPN Plus and Stadium on Saturday. Joe Bartle joins the program right after this on Sports Call. We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into the program. It's Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. J.J. Jackson inside the studio with Ryan LaVoy, Cam Berry, and Tom Peavy on this Wednesday. We hope that you're doing well. What we want to do right now is go to our Auburn Bank phone line and bring on a weekly guest, a good friend of the program. It's our pal Joe Bartle from Rotowire, kind enough to join us here on the show today. Joe, the time is always is greatly appreciated. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. We are in the process of moving uh, our place after five years of living there. So you can imagine how much stuff just gets <laughs> accumulated. So I'm out of breath, tired, and ready to be done with this. But happy to talk with you guys. This will be a good uh, a break between everything else. Yeah, no doubt about that. Let's talk a little football then. This should be a, a nice break for you to uh, talk about something that we love so much. And, and that is fantasy football, the sport in general. And John, I'm curious, we didn't get a chance to talk about this as the season got up and running, but let's bring things here local, close to uh, the Auburn area. Our closest NFL team, as you well know, is the Atlanta Falcons. When you look at the Falcons week to week so far this season, who are the best plays in the fantasy football world for that team? Yeah, I think a lot of people had 
really misconceptions about the Falcons, and I think through three weeks we've we've kind of figured it out, right? Or at least uh, the idea of the Falcons being one of the worst teams in the league is not really the correct answer anymore. It's more like they're a competitive team, kind of like the Lions in some sense, but without the HBO press. Uh, that can be pretty good, uh, pretty good offense, not great defense, and have guys offensively that you want to have watch most weeks. For me, it was Kyle Pitts. I think of my 15 teams this year, I had uh, six or seven shares of Kyle Pitts. Every single one of them was redraft leagues where I was I was actively making the choice to take Kyle Pitts in the third round. Now, he hasn't really lived up to that billing. Uh, honestly, he's probably one of my more disappointing picks thus far. But he is going to be a guy I really believe that will benefit as the season progresses, provided Arthur Smith chooses to use him like a talented uh, generational tight end like he is, not like a blocker like we were having uh, the issue with two weeks ago. So Drake Lund is another guy, too, who I, I was all in with. The only issue was I loved Christian Kirk now and Lazard, who were both playing on with six or seven times, too. Um, so I have a decent amount of shares of Drake Lund and not as many as I wish I could have because he has clearly proven himself to be one of the best wide receivers of this class along with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. There are some really good rookie receivers. So to have Drake London among that group, I think, is, is fantastic. Uh, and then, obviously, Cordero Patterson, um, I think, has surprised some, not me. I was taking him in that eighth round or later. Uh, they were surprised that he was able to do what he's been able to do from last year. The fact that we were able to replicate that kind of performance has been great. So the Falcons offensively have a lot of guys I think from a fantasy perspective, we can start most weeks. I know Kyle Pritzkin has been disappointing, but I believe that will change uh, as the season progresses. Talking with Joe Bartle here from Rotowire about the fantasy football world and talking about good starts to have three weeks now in the books here in the National Football League. And as you continue to look through that NFC South division, the Saints, a team that a lot of people have been a little disappointed in their start to the year. What do you make of the Saints' performance as a team? And then maybe some individual guys. I know Alave, the rookie wide receivers we've talked about, uh, definitely been pretty solid. But talk about the Saints for us. Yeah, I liked Alave a lot. He was, quite frankly, the only offensive guy that I was really trusting um, to draft this year. And, like, Jameis Winston was fine. You were getting him around 14 later. As your QB2, that was okay for me. I, I completely understood it. I, I had felt Kamara in the, in the second round, third round value never made sense because Drew Brees is not the quarterback and Sean Payton is not the coordinator. And then Michael Thomas, I liked a lot, and I kind of warmed up towards the end of the preseason, but you were still talking about a fifth-round value for a guy that you had to see after two and a half years of not playing uh, or doing anything. You didn't really see it. There's a lot of trust to put into it. Jarvis Landry, I figured, would cut into uh, Michael Thomas's workload. And after week one, that didn't look like that was the case. All three of them ended up doing just fine. I guess Lave was the, the lone exception. But with Winston struggling with the injury and Kamara dealing with his own thing, it's been tough. I, I do not think the Saints were a playoff team, or if anything, they were the, the fake playoff team, I always call it, that, that seventh, seventh seed that nobody wanted at all, and the NFL chose to give it to us anyway, that's, that's the fake seed. So uh, I, I really feel like the Saints are more like a 7-10 and 10 team than a 9-8 team or 10-7 team, but we'll have to see as the season progresses. Joe, I need some advice, man. Um, it, uh, it, so, so this year I kind of went all in on Javante Williams. Um, I kind of felt like, you know, with adding Russ to the, to the Broncos, I thought that would be a really good move. I figured he'd be the unquestioned RB one. Uh, but it seems through three weeks that, uh, he's splitting his touches with, uh, Melvin Gordon, not getting a lot of, not a goal line touches. Uh, so I picked up James Robinson, um, and he seems like the unquestioned lead back. Uh, so this year, this week, I'm just kind of struggling if I should start who who I should start going in. Um, Javante is just 
you know, not getting a lot of production. And James Robinson seems like he's the unquestioned uh, RB1. So, so who do you think I should go with? Is this a PPR league or a this standard scoring P- PPR. Okay, so I, I think that's important. Um, the Eagles' defense, for what it's worth, is actually bottom third in the NFL in terms of long points to fantasy running backs. I would have thought that would actually be better. I, like, I think the Eagles' defense is one of the best in the league, but their strength probably lies more in the secondary until Jordan Davis really develops into the monster that I think he could be. So uh, James Robinson is a perfectly fine play. I think we probably have him a top 15 uh, overall, which is great. I actually think Javante Williams can be fine, though, too. And a lot of it depends on can the Broncos write this offense right now because it's, it's Russell Wilson that I think is struggling. Javante Williams was going to have value in week one because he got targeted 11 times, and I thought, boy, if that's how it's going to look like and Melvin Gordon gets the carries, Williams gets the targets, fine. I mean, but you're going to be more than happy with that value from that, uh, from that perspective where you're drafting him. But since that point, he has just four catches. 15 carries across both those games are just four catches. It is the Raiders, though, this week, and I do think that the Broncos' offense will be better. The Raiders are 23rd in terms of uh, fancy points a lot to uh, running back. So I actually think Javante Williams is my play this week, but James Robinson most weeks. You probably, I would be surprised if you didn't, uh, would be able to start both those guys and maybe the guy that you have at RB1 at the moment might be somebody good sub out or as a flex. That would be uh, my consideration. And I actually wanted to ask you about those Raiders, Joe, because they're obviously one of just a couple of teams that is 0-3, and they're not a team that I think many thought would start 0-3. How does that change your view of of their fancy guys? Because they've got a lot of great skill guys that people would love to have between Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, and yet Mac Hollins is who leads them in receiving yards through three years. So kind of assess the situation going on with Las Vegas. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. That's one of my more disappointing teams at the moment at 0-3. They've had a hard schedule. It's not like it's just been easy layups overall. I would have thought the Raiders would beat the Titans. That was a surprising uh, effort to me. Uh, and the Cardinals, I mean, they, they had that win in the bag and then just kind of let it unravel. So this is it's, – it's a very difficult projection to say the Raiders will turn around because they have all the key pieces on offense and defense – I just think they are a better team than we've seen thus far, at least from a record perspective. They certainly are better. It doesn't get much easier, though. Like They should have gotten at least one, if not two, of those wins against the Cardinals and Titans to get the Broncos this week, Chiefs next week. After the bye, week six, then maybe things turn around with the Texans, Saints, Jaguars, Colts. That four-game stretch, I think you could probably say that's at least two wins or three wins for the Jaguars. I don't know. I, I'm not um, buying the Matt Collins hype. I think that's going to be a one, uh, one-week fluke. The Broncos secondary is one of the best in the league, and in fact, they allow the fewest points to fantasy wide receivers. So if anyone you're trusting is Devontae Adams overall, and I think he's the guy that I would be more comfortable with, it's Josh Jacobs that, that gets to be a little bit difficult because you're not like, oh, I can't wait to start Josh Jacobs, but he has gotten close to 100 uh, total yards in each of the past three games. He just can't score the touchdowns. That's the only issue at the moment. He had five red zone carries, uh, at least within the 20 yards, against the Titans, uh, nine total like, he should be able to punch it at some point. We just haven't seen it yet. I think that's the issue. But this is going to be a tough match. Vegas says uh, to the one world we're scoring was at 45.5 over under. That makes me a little bit concerned from the Raiders' perspective if you were starting uh, Josh Jacobs Snarby too. We're talking with Joe Bartle here on Sports Call discussing fantasy football. Uh, Joe, here's a question for you, and, and this is kind of a, a another kind of, I guess, advice question or also maybe how you operate some of your teams. But – at what point in the season or how many weeks in do you decide or for any fantasy guys out there decide that 
you need to make some changes to the roster. You got a guy, let's say that that you had penciled or you had in as a starter, just not getting it done, and it's time to either move to the bench or just completely get rid of to maybe get somebody else hot in. How many weeks into the season do you typically wait before you just kind of say, you know what, got to change the lineup. This ain't working. Uh, I tend to go quarter by quarter, so four games, eight games, twelve games, okay. you know, sixteen games at that point. So this is the point this this week right. where I'll really have to make some assessments. And case in point, uh, I overreacted to Robert Woods in Week One, not being a part of the Titans' offense whatsoever. I dropped him just everywhere. And, and okay, you're like whatever, Joe doesn't matter. Robert Woods is your wide receiver five, and yes, he was, but. I thought that's a roster spot. I want to turn over as much as possible, make sure I have the best guys. Well, it turns out Robert Woods actually is a factor in the offense, and the Titans will pass more. It was just a weird week one, and I think you could look across the league in week one and say, oh, yeah, there was a lot of abnormalities overall. Like, you think about the Packers, more performance ones against the Vikings, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Like, there's, there's a lot of instances where you can wipe out this one-game sample, but across a three-game sample, I think you get more data – uh, more situations that have come up that maybe you couldn't have prepared for or understood how the offense and the team would operate. And that's why, by game four, I'm really trying to make adjustments. Now, the issue is maybe you're on four. Like, if you're on four, you're more or less dead in the water. There's not much you can do from a fantasy perspective. But in most situations, two and one, one and two entering this week, there's opportunities for you to make a move uh, and, and really assess your roster for what's to come. And so I, that's kind of how I operate. Joe, what are you thinking with uh, the running backs at the top? I know we've, we've talked about Sa- Saquon Barkley before, and he still seems energized. Uh, we've always had Christian McCaffrey towards the top because of what he can do out of the backfield. Just kind of how are you power ranking these top four or five running backs, what you've seen so far, and if there's anything you're wary of of the guys that did ultimately go uh, very high in that first round for running backs? Yeah, I think of the first-round running backs, the only one that's within the top ten from a fantasy point scoring perspective is Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor. And Jonathan Taylor's ten. Like I have Jonathan Taylor in a few weeks. I'm certainly not happy with him, given what I when I took him in the one overall. You know, like it's, it's not what you'd be expecting, but yet he is the number ten overall in fantasy points. It's to say that this has kind of been a crazy season to start. Like Edwards Lair and Cordell Patterson uh, are are near the top of the overall fantasy standings at the moment. And you still have some guys that need to get healthy, too, like DeAndre Swift, Dalvin Cook, depending on what their stats will be this week. I think it makes a difference. Nick Chubb was a little bit just outside the top uh, 10 drafted running backs, but is certainly, I think he is the top overall fantasy scorer, even in uh, PPR leagues, which is kind of crazy to think about. I'm not concerned um, about Christian McCaffrey's workload. I think by the end of the year, provided he stays healthy, you're going to be happy drafting him where he did. It's the Saquon Barkley. I, I just was not convinced Saquon Barkley was going to be a thing this year. And I've been absolutely wrong those five for the first three weeks. I don't know what I would sell him for, like in terms of selling high, but I would consider it. I think it's it's certainly possible there's an offer out there because if you are somebody who has Jonathan Taylor uh, or maybe a Delvin Cook plus something, I would really consider that and try to take advantage of the guys that we thought, for the most part, were pretty locked in. Or like you know, think about wide receiver Jamar Chase has been a little bit disappointing. Justin Jefferson said uh, one bad week. Maybe you could capitalize on those positions, which are even more guaranteed and automatic running back, uh, to be able to, to move up the ladder a little bit and get some more depth at wide receiver. I'm not sure what the right answer is for trading Saquon Barkley, but I would certainly consider it more than uh, more than most of these other top-scoring guys. Joe Bartle is our guest here on Sports Call today. Follow him on Twitter at JB Fantasy Sports. He'll answer all of your fantasy questions by sending him a tweet, again, with Rotowire. Follow them on Twitter as well 
at RotoWire. Your podcast this week, Joe, what were some of the topics that we talked about and what should people be on the lookout for coming from you? Yeah, waiver wire pickups, that's been our key every every week. We do it every Tuesday, so getting you set for week four. The top guys are Jamal Williams and Quill Herbert, who are both rostered in over 50% of the other leagues. So that doesn't really meet our threshold. We try at least target people who are uh, under the radar from a waiver perspective. But what happens if Jamal Williams and Quill Herbert are rostered and you need them? You have DeAndre Swift or Dave Montgomery. What do you trade for? Uh, what do you go ahead and uh, give up? Like, What would be a deal that you'd be happy to take? if you did have Herbert or Jamal Williams. I think that was a, a pretty heavy conversation for us. And then there's a bit of Packers conversation, as there always feels like there must be every week. But Romeo Dobbs, I think, is one of the top waiver wire pickups. He's only rostered in 25% of Yahoo leagues. To me, I was convinced that was his coming out party, especially with Sammy Watkins up for the next four weeks. There is room for both Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs to be a thing. Uh, no matter if Christian Watson's healthy or not, I think Romeo Dobbs can be a wide receiver three or flex play for you most weeks. And I need to see it to believe it. Well, I'm ready to believe it now. So that was kind of our, our big focus on the podcast. Uh, every Friday, I have Sirius XM from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Channel 88. We go through every week, uh, week game preview and uh, discuss the fantasy implications. I try to throw some prop bets in there, too, because I've been having fun doing that thus far. But, uh, yeah, uh, plenty of other media stuff going on throughout the week, as there always is. But, Certainly feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at JB Fantasy Sports, and I'll be happy to answer as many questions as I can. Absolutely love it. Joe, thanks so much for the time. Get back to moving. Hopefully this was a well-deserved <laughs> break and enjoyable for you, and we'll talk again next week, okay? All right. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. That's our buddy Joe Bartle joining us there on the Auburn Bank phone line. 334-887-3401 or toll free at one 888 9 If you would like to be a part of the show, and Joe's so great chatting with him for five years now. At this point on Wednesdays, uh, it's been it's a football tradition each and every football season to chat with that guy. We've chatted with him longer than the average NFL career. <laughs> That's true. Very true. <laughs> That's true. I like when to think about it in that perspective. You know, talking about fantasy football and NFL sport and those career those shelf lives aren't then, too long. Uh, aren't then too remember long. last year he made fun of me. Yes, that was great. <laughs> well, it was a trade, it was, right? It was, it was a trade that I tried to make uh-huh. with JJ, uh-huh. and it was a it, great. It was, it was a very terrible lopsided trade, but it was a trade that JJ needed. Uh, to you were but, trying to attack a need. Yeah. yeah, I was trying to attack a need. Well, I was trying to attack a need for both of us, but you didn't rea- take it too well. Yeah, in reality, it was, well, it was very lopsided. But JJ needed that uh-huh. player. So you're trying, but you're trying to dupe him. No, actually, it wasn't. <laughs> no, I, no, I was not trying to dupe JJ, uh-huh. but what I was doing was looking at his roster, and I saw a uh-huh. desperate, desperate need that he needed, and I had a player that he desperately needed. Yeah. And he had I'll a player, back all that up. And he had a player that I really wanted. His player just happened to be a lot better than the one that I was giving him. Right. But it was also a major need. My position – I think he had zero on his roster because of injuries. Jeez. And it's yeah. like, dude, you need my guy. <laughs> and that's the conversations and, we have with Joe Bartle yeah. each and every week. And we're going to have more of those moments this year on the show. But I Joe hope. made fun of me. He's, <laughs> like, that, he's like, that is the most ridiculous trade I've <laughs> ever heard of in my <laughs> life. <laughs> like, we'll have to find and out. he's in like, like 15 oh. leagues. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, he's seen a lot of trades, like, lot of trades yeah, in like, his oh, day. Thanks You're a exactly lot. All right. We've got about six or seven minutes left here in the hour, and we're going to take a phone call. Coming up in the final hour again, you were going to get to hear from Chris Busher. Once again, a conversation that we had yesterday ahead of Talladega coming up this weekend. But for now, we want to go to our phone lines. Joining us here on the program, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve here to join us to close out the hour. Hello, Steve. 
Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, hey there, Steve. Is Brent, hey, good afternoon. Is Brent there? It is Tom, Ryan, and Cam. Okay. I want to apologize to Brent for I uh, became too passionate yesterday in my uh, uh, trying to uh, dispute his uh, facts uh, against my facts about uh, why, you know, uh, they should run right. ahead and make a decision to let a uh, horse can go or not. So anyway, with that having said, I'll... Uh, will he be on tomorrow? He'll be back tomorrow, yep. Okay. All right. Now, I did hear that you are going to be uh, doing uh, some tailgating on North Ross Street? Yes. Yes. Uh, with uh, Mike's? That's right. With uh, with Mike Big Mike's. Ed? Big Mike's. Okay. Uh, 132nd North Ross Street, a block and a half away from Tumor's Corner, starting at 2 p.m. on Saturday with our friends at the Southeastern Land Group. So who's going to be there? We'll have a bunch of our folks out there. We don't uh, have it done roll call quite yet, but uh, we'll have okay. more of that information as we get so, closer to the weekend. Uh, the food there, will it be uh, by pay as you, as you go, or how how they work? It, it's probably just going to be uh, first come, first serve. Again, we're getting more details coming our way. Okay. Well, I'm glad to see we'll the uh, weather forecast has gotten favorable. It's only, a, I think, a 35% rain chance in the morning. Yes. All right. With that said, guys, uh, Mr. Ryan LaVoy. Yes, sir. I've been meaning to ask you, what the hell was uh, going on with Mr. Tom Brady and the penalty for the time running out, delay of game? Yeah, no, I mean, that one was a, a bad penalty to take, and I know that some people were questioning why the play clock started from 20 instead of 25, but it's still not an excuse. So, I mean, they obviously messed that part of it up and made it really difficult to have a, a – two-point play from the seven-yard line. Well, I didn't watch the game, but I saw the video portion of that. Uh, he probably could walk in for a touchdown. On the uh, original the, – well, yeah, The original yeah. play for net yeah. was a run to the right side. And, I mean, it looked that way certainly, but at the same time you're talking about shutting a play down as it's starting, so I don't know if it would have gone True. as perfectly to fruition. But, yes, I obviously from what it looked like, it looked like Fournette would have gotten in there. But forget Tom Brady. What about the, the assistant coaches – or the coach on the sidelines, what are they watching? No clock watching? I mean, yeah, I mean, they broke the huddle a little late, um, so you could say the play got in. But also Tom was checking at the line of scrimmage with just a couple seconds left because he was trying to get the, the guys spread out. He was trying to get the run look they wanted so they could, you know, run run to that side. So, I mean, there was a lot that went into it. And, you know, ultimately, I mean, they they got to get the ball snapped at the end of the day. But, um, you know, still very unfortunate situation. And, I think overall, Tampa probably did not deserve to win that game, and then you make a play like that, and and you don't win the game. Yeah, well, don't let's don't talk about teams that don't deserve to win uh, games. All right, guys, I'm going to be with my daughter uh, to the LSU game. Now, as I told you, you know, it pains me uh, to even say, you know, uh, I I I don't want to see the team uh, win, then I don't want to see them lose. Uh, I'm I'm pulling for the players. I hope they can turn around and possibly miraculously uh, actually beat LSU. I know the odds aren't really looking good for us, uh, but, you know, crazy things happen in the LSU uh, Auburn games anyway. Uh, but let me ask you this, guys. Uh, have you heard any intel from Travon or anybody that, about what they think is going on uh, in terms of the, uh, the coaching issue? No, I uh, have not. Would you hear anything from them? I don't Probably think so. Not. No, they're going to keep that <laughs> yeah. in-house, and we're yeah. going to – I mean, we, we still do stay in touch with Trevon. He hit me up yesterday, but 
I'm going to respect what's going on. Y'all don't talk about football. He wants to check in and, and see how I'm doing, and he wants to show me what his kids are up to. And, and uh, yeah, I'm going to respect what's going on there in the in the program. Yeah. See, those are the guys I feel more badly about than the head coach or assistant coaches because they probably don't have buyouts, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Uh, with that having, uh, having said that, guys, moving on to a lighter note, I see that the Braves now are tied. Tied yep. with seven Ooh. games left. And, of course, you know, it's only the Braves. We always come down to the last games of the season, right? Yeah. Uh, they can it, never just, just blow out people, you know, and be way ahead in the standings. Yeah, it's been a little bit easier over the past few years, but this one is, is definitely going to be a photo finish, and the target is going to be on the Braves' back as the defending World Series champions. Well, they play the Nationals again tonight, and then they start the, the series with the Mets on Friday, right? That's right. Correct. Yes. Okay. Uh, now, what about the Mets? Do they play tonight? They do play tonight against the Marlins, and then they're also off tomorrow. So both teams okay. will have one game before that series gets started. All right. Uh, the line, guys, is it still nine uh, on the LSU game? I believe so. I believe so. Okay. Uh, so what? Well, well, what's your confidence level that we even are competitive in the game? I, 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 scale I, of one to ten? I, yeah, I'll, I'll go on a scale of one to ten being competitive. I'll give it about a seven, seven. just because I'm. I think night game, Jordan Hare Stadium. A lot of times magic happens, and I think you've even seen some really bad Auburn teams perform decently well when the lights come on and the crowd is there. LSU is a better team, I think, right now than Auburn, but they're not that much better. And so, I to be competitive, I, I yeah, I'd say like a seven. I, I, I'd say about eight. Steve, it's good to hear from you today. We'll catch up again tomorrow, okay? We'll talk hey, more about hey this. Guys, you can't go to me that quickly. I'll be back tomorrow. Perfect. <laughs> War Eagle. War Eagle. Eagle. Bye. All right. That's our good power, Tyler Gordon. I'm Steve joining us on the program as we have reached the end of hour number two of Sports Call. Alongside Tom Peavy, Ryan LaVoy, and Cam Berry. My name is JJ Jackson. Two hours in the books, and we're rolling. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Hour number three getting underway of Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9. I'm Ryan Lavoy filling in for J.J. Jackson as he goes on some company business. I've got Tom Peavy and Cam Barry with me. Uh, Company business. Call to the bullpen. the company business. Hey, he made it through two-thirds of the game. He did. Usually in Major League Baseball, I'm happy if the pitcher goes six innings. So uh, on to the bullpen. But uh, starting off hour number three here, we'll have a couple things to do. 
Of course, more of your phone calls at 887-341-LOCALLY, toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Also, we will re-air the Chris Busher interview that we did yesterday. The race at Talladega coming up on Sunday, as long as no weather gets in the way. And right now we're looking good on that front. So uh, the Talladega race coming up. So we got the chance to speak to NASCAR driver, driver the number 17 for RFK Racing. That is Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. We got to talk to Chris Busher, so we'll re-air that here in just a little bit. But for now, let's go back to our Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-341 locally, toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. James from Montgomery. James joins us. James, how are you doing? I'm good, and War Eagle. War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, um, about this Auburn versus LSU game, do you think that Brian Harson is going to actually come out with a big win on Saturday night? And if Brian Harson comes out uh, with a big win, do you think he will stay at Auburn for the end of the 2022 season? But if he doesn't get these last few wins, who do you see uh, stepping up in the next uh, coaching uh, dilemma? If uh, Coach Harson, uh, if the uh, if the Auburn um boosters will actually make a decision if he stays or if he uh leaves the university and who do you see uh replacing him in the near future uh those are all the big questions there yeah, yeah. yeah. uh um so all right so first as far as the game goes uh i think auburn could win this game uh am i predicting that no <laughs> um i just think auburn just overall just lacks the talent and but it's a night game inside Jordan Hare Stadium, and magical things mm. a lot of times happen. So there is definitely a chance. Yeah. Now, will that game save Brian Harson's job? No. Uh, I think okay. I think the people that make the decisions are looking at what Georgia does. Okay. If Georgia just absolutely blows Auburn out, then that may be the final nail in the coffin. They may keep him till the end of the season and make a deal uh, to get him gone, or they may wait until the bye week and do something. But I, I think ultimately uh, Brian Harson is going to be gone. Now, if they do it midway through the season, like at the bye week, all signs point to Zach Etheridge taking over uh, on an interim basis because he is the associate head coach, um, defensive backs coach and all. So I think Zach Etheridge would take over. And then when you start looking at who would replace Brian Harson then that it depends on who you talk to. I really, really like the whole de- the idea of Deion Sanders coming in here for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, but then everybody looks at Lane Kiffin. He's been making comments about how unhappy he is with some of the fans there at Ole Miss, and maybe Lane Kiffin is not liking things at Ole Miss. I, I would not mind Lane Kiffin coming here. Uh, but then there's a lot of other names out there that keep getting thrown around. Jeff Grimes, who used to be offensive line coach, his name's been thrown around. Of course, Hugh Freeze, who is at Liberty, that used to coach at Ole Miss, his name is thrown around. So who they go to after that, I don't know. Uh, just right now, it's a lot of names, a lot of speculation. But uh, if they do get rid of Harson in midseason, it's, it would most likely be Zach Etheridge taking over as the interim. Yeah, because I think with Zach Etheridge, I think he has a good fit and he has good ties with with the Auburn team as well. Sure. But if, if they don't pick him, I will probably say like Deion Sanders because he's one of my favorite uh, former uh, Cowboy players of all time. So I would like to you know meet him and you know get to know about his background 
uh, coaching abilities and seeing if he's a good tie for uh, a good tie to Auburn as well. Because I think you know he has a little, he has a lot of um, a lot of insight. He can you know get like some of the recruiters. And, you know, he can go to um, recruit some of the guys and make them an NFL stars as well, you know. But, I mean, if if things might happen between now and the bye week, I mean, it could be other, other, other coaches out there, you know, somebody that's a long list of coaches out there that, that's won a lot of national championships under their belt. But, like, Lane Kiffin, I mean, Lane Kiffin was the assistant coach under uh, Nick Saban, you know, yeah. at one point in time. So, I mean, with that being said, if if Lane Kiffin steps up and we still playing against Alabama and then with Nick Saban's age, uh, it, it'll tell a story because Nick Saban right now, he's 70-something. He's 71. He's 70 one years old and I think it's time for him to, you know, retire and give the turn over the University of Alabama to a younger a young head coach at right. at that. Well James, I'll tell you this, if you want a chance to actually see Deion Sanders and see his Jackson State team, in two weeks they will be in Montgomery playing at Alabama State. That's October the eighth. And so Deion Sanders and Al- and Jackson State will be in Montgomery playing Alabama State. Okay, because uh, that game, um, I was I was going to go to that game and get tickets for that, but uh, somebody in my Facebook, uh, well, my Twitter timeline told me that that those tickets are sold out for the whole week because they that's homecoming weekend for them. So uh, Alabama State and Jacksonville State's tickets are sold out for that for that. Uh, homecoming weekend uh, festivities as well. Gotcha. Okay. What else is on your mind today, James? Well, I know uh, yesterday that y'all were talking with uh, one of the four, uh, one of the NASCAR racers that were going to be racing in uh, Talladega this weekend. I think it's uh, Chris Chris uh, Boldman, if I'm saying his last name right. Chris Busher. Busher. Yeah, Chris Busher. So is he going to be actually racing this weekend, or what is the situation there? Yes, he, uh, he's he been driving the number 17 car all season long for Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. So he's been in that 17 all year long. He won at Bristol a couple weeks ago, and he'll be racing at Talladega. Okay, so I won't take him off the uh, NASCAR Fantasy uh, roster, so I'll just keep him up there and see if he's going to – uh, give me some fantasy points this Sunday as well because I would be watching that uh, race as well, and it's going to be one of the uh, historic races I've been waiting for for a long, long time as well. Yeah, Talladega is always very exciting, and the the drafting tracks always are, and the uh, Talladega race earlier this year was very exciting, so we're looking forward to it. Last thing for us, James, then we've got another phone call to get to. Well, the last thing I have is that Dak Prescott will be starting on week five. So the doctors have cleared him for medical injuries. They took his uh, they took his uh, brace off his hand and they took the stitches out of his thumb. So he is ready. Uh, he has medical clearance, so he is ready to start uh, week five against the Los Angeles Rams. So he is good and ready to go. Well, that would be good news for the Cowboys if that's uh, what turns out to happen. I know that uh, Cooper Rush has obviously been playing pretty well for Dallas in the meantime, but obviously they want to get that Prescott back when they can. 
Yeah, so he will be starting in week five. So I will put uh, Dak Prescott back up in my uh, in my backup lineup on my fantasy league in week five. So I hope he'll have that thumb ready to go. You know, I hope he had that hand ready to go. And I'm hoping that the Dallas Cowboys will make it to the uh, playoff uh, season and make it to the Super Bowl this year to face against the Buffalo Bills. That sounds like a plan. We will see if uh, that's what happens. But, uh, James, we appreciate the phone call as always today, and we, we hope you have a great day, and we look forward to talking to you later on in the week. All right. Sounds good. And War Eagle. War Eagle. That is James from Montgomery on our Auburn Bank phone line. And now let's go right back to the Auburn Bank phone line, 334-887-34, locally toll-free, one 9 tiger 9 And we have uh, Jones from Montgomery. Jones, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you doing, gentlemen? Doing well. Doing great. Good. All right, I'm, I'm going to ask you a few questions because I am not anti-Harson like 99% of Auburn people, but let's go back. When we had Gus Malzahn had that great couple of games in, what was it, 2019, and got that absurd extension by, I guess it was Leaf, correct? Yes, 2017. Yeah. That, yes. That's a yes. All right. He was getting, you know, he was getting top 15 recruiting classes, but it was heavily – weighted with wide receivers and defensive backs. It was no line. So even though you got points for recruits, you weren't getting the, the meat, so to speak, that you needed, correct? Correct. And, and I would even I would even say that it was not even so much wide receivers as it was just defensive overall because the defensive line, you got to remember some of the guys that they recruited, like a Derrick Brown and a Marlon Davidson. I mean, top-tier guys. And then, of course, secondary. So Gus Malzahn and those guys, they loaded up big-time studs on defense but they couldn't hardly get anybody uh, of noted of notoriety on the offensive side perfect i agree now let's move ahead just a little you got these mediocre teams that gus was putting on the field and recruits were not wanting to come to auburn to get into the nfl which is now the the hot thing you know you go to some school you get an nfl contract like george and bammer probably verbally assuring these recruits all right now the point i want to make is let's come into uh, we get rid of him, we get Harson, who I think is a good coach. Now, he may not have the sideline savvy that we all want to see jumping up and down and screaming like uh, Jimbo Fisher or whatever, but I think he's got some skills. All right, last year, did we not lose our quarterback, who was probably 70% of our offense as far as some of the plays he would make? Yes. Yep. Yep. We also lost this year our center. <clears throat> who was, to me, much more important than everybody realized going in. Last year, we lost a kicker. We lost to old Mississippi State, which was an absurd loss, I agree. That was what really started the anti-Harson philosophy among all Auburn people and fans, which I think is wrong. He did screw up. He could have gotten better. But then you think about it. He never had really a chance to recruit. He wasn't told by whoever was in power, you got to recruit and get some meat. So now he comes into this year. We don't know that Penn State's not a, a Final Four team. Everybody is mad because he got blown out. Well, he's going to get blown out like that with George and Bama, more than likely. What if Penn State's a lot better than we think? So here we are today. The vitriol aimed at this man, to me, is just overwhelmingly absurd. Because now we're talking about getting another coach. When this man might be the right coach, but we're going to turn into Tennessee in my opinion, if we get rid of this guy. The players love him. He's got skills. And unfortunately, everybody's forgetting all the reality that I just described and that you agreed to. 
Now tell me where I'm wrong. Uh, no, I mean the thing is, I, I think you are correct that you've. Had, it's one thing that you got to be really, really careful about. And I even said this when we, when they were getting rid of Gus Malzahn, is that I thought that they needed to get rid of Gus Malzahn because things had just become so stagnant and, and just kind of mediocre under him that you had to make a move. However, you had to be careful because you could end up, like you said, being the next Tennessee where you just start rotating doors of coaches. You know, with Brian Harson, there I think there has been some good there, but there's also been some bad, and, and the recruiting and the lack thereof has really been a thing. But I, I've, I believe in two years he's had a chance to show that he can do something, and then you start hearing stories that he's not showing up to recruiting dinners. You get the stories of the high school coaches saying that he hasn't even been to their schools to see them. Those are things that that coach can control. That's not anything that the boosters are making him do or not making him do. So that effort has to be put out there, and it's being reported that it's not. So what's going to hurt him is ultimately the lack of recruiting, lack of getting guys uh, in the transfer portal. And, and unfortunately, after, after being here for two years, you have to be able to show some progress, and he hasn't. Gotcha. Well, I needed to hear that because, like I say, I've, I've always believed – uh, the fastest way to get somewhere is to stay right where you are, reevaluate, and, and sure. readjust. And just this constant knee jerk that we're going to do, I, I think it's going to set us back severely unless we get lucky and yeah. get just absolutely a stud home run guy. I agree. And yeah. I'm just not confident we're going to do. There's so much negativity. Uh, and of course, our body permeates. It starts with the spider web effect beginning on the fine bomb show, and it permeates outward. And unfortunately, I hope that the visual. I, I guess that we're going to give Saturday night. I hope it does something to at least stave off some of the, the negativity that's permeated this whole thing about Auburn. Yeah, and I think a win over LSU kind of – I'm not going to say completely backs people off of, of Harson's back because it, it's going to help. It'll, it, help. It, it, it'll help kind of soothe a little bit because at that point we're all going to be 4-1. and one. Uh, that gives them the ability to kind of tread at that point and sure. just kind of go week to week on a week to week basis. Obviously, Georgia's going to not be pretty, but Ole Miss, you can kind of look to that and say, hey, maybe we can keep, be competitive, maybe even be Ole Miss in, in Ole Miss. That's that's a big move. And then the buy hits, and then you kind of have to reevaluate because then we'd be what? Five, five and four and two, five and two, five and two. five and two. So then, lost to Penn State, who you're right might be better than a lot of people think, and a loss to Georgia, who's easily the best team in the in the country. Um, and then you just kind of go from there. Yeah, and I've got a philosophy, and I won't keep you. I hate long winded people, but I'm calling long distance, so I love uh, chatting with you guys, and the oh. show's great. I've always done this for the last forty years, and I finished Auburn in the middle seventies, and I've I've always had a philosophy that take four and a half points per differential of turnovers. Meaning if you turn it over four times and I don't turn it over any, that gives me basically 20 points, right? Right. Look at Penn State. They beat Auburn by 29, theoretically, and it can be and it can be a swing. It can be goal line turnovers, whatever. If you'll take the fact that if you use that philosophy and Auburn does not turn the ball over or at least matches up with the other team, and it goes back to 1989 when I first did this philosophy, and everybody thought Alabama was going to beat Auburn. And I said, no, Auburn should win by about 6 to 10 points based on my turnover philosophy. Use that and go back and look at games where we've turned it over. And if we don't turn it over, it shell shocks them. Those two balls last week that were not turnovers, which should have been the one in the backfield that lineman got and the, the interception they didn't get, 
that Auburn has to stop that because I believe that kills confidence, not just points as far as the other team getting, but when you turn the ball over or nearly turn it over, especially with a new quarterback, you're going to put him into a shell. I just wish somebody would get in their face and say, guys, screw it. This, you're just playing to have fun now. Everything's got to stop the negativity. It's got to start somewhere. And I really believe not having that center is really, really hurt Auburn. Absolutely. And, Jones, we uh, we appreciate the phone call, and we uh, look forward to you calling in again. again. Yeah, Please call do. some more. I'll do it some more. I appreciate your, your time, guys. Great show. Thanks. Yes, sir. That is Jones from Montgomery there on our Auburn Bank phone line. We've got to get to our next break in the show. On the other side, we'll re-air that Chris Busher interview as promised. And uh, we're already running low on time here in hour number three. Uh, but we've had some great calls. And so we'll get to that Busher interview and have a little more sports call after this on the other side of this timeout. J.J. Jackson and the guys want to hear from you. Give them a call to join Sports Call at 334-887-3401. We're done paying the bills. Now back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back into Sports Call Auburn here on Tiger 95.9 FM and on the Tiger Communications app. JJ Jackson and Ryan LaVoy here inside the studio and so honored and thrilled to be able to chat with Chris Busher, driver of the number 17 Fastenal Ford Mustang for Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. He's joining us here on the phone lines. Chris, the time is greatly appreciated. Talladega week coming back to the state of Alabama. Tell me what that means to you throughout your career. Yeah, definitely excited to head down that way. Uh, it's definitely one of those races where we know we're going to have a good shot with our RK Mustangs. The, both of us have good speed and going to be in a good place there. So looking forward to uh, getting down and, and getting after it and hopefully picking up another win. And, Chris, obviously the Texas race was wild last weekend, but, but just before that you picked up a win um, at Bristol Motor Speedway, and it was the first win for Roush Fenway. Keselowski in a, in a long time. Talk about what that win meant to you personally, but also to the organization. Yeah, that was that was a huge one. Um, I guess that's, uh, for me, Bristol is my favorite racetrack. Always love that one. Had some really close races there in the past on the Xfinity side uh, and on the Cup side through through the years, and it's just one of those I've always had circled, and I was uh, – one we went in feeling pretty confident about. Our speed's been up through the summer. You know, we've been sneaking up on it, and I uh, got got down there and went through practice. Felt like we were we were pretty good. Our averages were pretty good. We weren't the fastest thing through, but felt like our race car was good. And it was just one of those that handled good, and you knew you were going to have a shot at. And so, getting into the race and took care of it. I uh, had a lot of speed. Was able to pass a lot of cars, and, and then had some great strategy calls there at the end to get us out front again and we're able to to drive away with it so it was huge for rfk for um you know for both of us to have cars fast enough to win that race you know brad uh leading there late in late in the last stage and and having their tire issues obviously was 
a heartbreaker for them and uh, and the six bunch. But um, uh, it was nice to see that we both were capable of, of being able to win that thing. And for us to pull it off and get RFK back in the, the victory lane uh, to see Jack uh, smiling on Monday when we got back and uh, and see uh, see Brad's excitement for it as well. It was just a really special moment for everybody, and we're uh, proud to be able to pull it off and, and definitely feel like we're ready to get a few more. And, Chris, obviously there's been a lot of talk around this new car and, and just everyone learning and, and some issues at times with it, but uh, still new for everybody. And uh, you guys seem to be starting to turn a corner here with your win uh, I know Brad ran really well uh, throughout the Texas race. Obviously, that's a, te- a track that you, you being from the state of Texas. Um, just talk about RFK's development here throughout the year and, and how much you're enjoying the process of, of learning a new car. Yeah, I've been uh, you know I've been a part of the RFK family for for a really long time, uh, pretty much all of my professional stock car career and. Uh, with a few years uh, on loan to some some other teams, and um, you know, I think that I've seen the progression. I've seen the the absolute heyday here. I've seen some of the lows, and, and seen it turn around and and start heading uphill again. And it's exciting to be a part of that and to see everybody's hard work uh, yielding results at this point. I think that it's been exciting for me to uh, to see everybody continue to get better. And uh, and to keep keep going, this new car has presented a lot of challenges, and uh, and obviously with uh, the the uh, state of the world for the last couple of years, it made it difficult to get a lot of testing in, and uh, and really properly get things where they need to be for firing off. So we've kind of been um, I won't say guinea pigs, but we've been uh, uh, we've been testing as we've been racing at the same time, and so it's taken. A little bit longer than than anyone would have liked, but uh, we're definitely uh, getting getting everything up underneath us here now, and feel like we're starting to starting to fire on all eight. Really have been through the summer. Uh, it's just starting to, to yield results now that we're putting all the pieces together. Let me stay right there for a moment. Again, Chris Busher is our guest, 2015 NASCAR Xfinity Series champion, who had a career best eight top ten finishes. Back in 2021, you mentioned things kind of getting back to normal this NASCAR season and really our society kind of uh, exiting that pandemic that we all went through. What's it been like each and every weekend going to the racetrack and seeing so many folks return to the grandstands? We talk about this a lot from SEC football atmospheres that we've seen so far this year. But for NASCAR, what's that been like to see so many folks back out in attendance? Yeah, it feels normal again, and it's great to see so many people come out to the track. We've had some fantastic turnouts through the through the year at different racetracks, at different different venues. There's been a few that have been tough. I think largely related just to the some hot weekends and yeah. trying to get people to sit in the metal grandstands is a little tough in the mid afternoon, but. Um, I've been really proud of what our sport's been able to accomplish coming out of it. Uh, we've been able to get a lot of people really fired up about our season. Our viewership numbers are up. and We've had some really good racing along the way. We've had um, a lot of new fans coming in, not just uh, reigniting our old fans. We've had new fans coming in, so there's just been a ton of positive around our sport and just love to see it. Uh, love to keep uh, keep building on it and keep continuing to to get better, uh, I think that we're going to have a great crowd when we get down to Talladega. I think that 
we uh, we know we're coming down there to put on a good show. It's playoff season now for us, and so uh, there's obviously guys that have a uh, all or nothing mentality, and then there's uh, there's those that, that really don't have anything to lose. Um, I don't know that anybody's well. There probably is some must wins in the playoff grid at this point, so they're going to be pushing hard. Uh, so yeah, it's going to all come together, and I would plan on it being a really good show. It'll be exciting. I'm sure we'll have. Uh, carnage along the way unfortunately <laughs> and um we'll, uh, we'll we'll try and make sure that we survive the the best we can with our fast and all mustang well I, I certainly can't wait to see what the race looks like on sunday again chris busher here with us uh and looking back i gotta know what is that like to go to a race chris and know that nobody else is going to be there in the stands watching in your words what was that like to drive in those empty stadiums uh it was um to be to be straight up about it it was kind of miserable um <laughs> you know you walk in and it just felt uh post-apocalyptic it was just there's no noise there's nothing on the pa there was no music there was no people there was it was just still and uh it was just it's just really strange um you know I, I appreciate what we were able to do as a sport and get back going but it was by no means the fun way to do it and it's not what we're out here to do and um you know it was just wasn't fun being isolated from so many people for so long and uh it was um uh it was strange couldn't even hear the national anthem that was all done virtually so at the track we couldn't even hear it they just told us it was happening on a zoom call somewhere wow. and it was uh it was just uh it, it was miserable to be be fair about it, it was just miserable so we were really stoked that everybody's been able to come back and join us and get back to having fun together. So, Chris, go, go into Talladega this weekend, and obviously some drivers really against restrictor plate race, racing. Obviously the, the fans seem to love it. Um, a lot of mixed reviews depending on who you ask about. But, but give me a favorite Talladega memory and, and just what you think is good about restrictor plate racing. What excites you about it? Um, you know, I think that it's uh, for, for a long part of my career, it gave that uh, that underdog a, a shot, right? And um, you know, for speedway races, we know that when you come in, it's uh, it can be anybody's race. Now, there's definitely been favorites that have uh, really excelled when we come to speedway racing and doing a good job. And so, uh, I don't feel like it's quite as much as a of a pure luck winner uh, like it, it could have been in the past. But uh, but there's definitely a certain amount of it that comes into play. You have to survive. You have to be uh, at the right place at the right time, avoid other people's mistakes, and uh, and if you can do that, you're going to have a chance when it comes down to those closing laps. So uh, that was always fun growing up and knowing that uh, there were times where we were not in uh, top top equipment, and when we go to those racetracks, we'd have them circled because that was our opportunity to go go make something happen. And we've been able to to finish really well at, at Super Speedway through uh, through my career, even at those uh, those places where we haven't had quite the funding or or, uh, or the speed at times, and uh, we've been able to get really close. Never quite pulled a win off at them, but uh, we've been uh, been in the hunt, and that's always been, been fun to be a part of. Chris, the time has been greatly appreciated today. Thank you so much. Best of luck this weekend, and we appreciate you making a stop here in Auburn, Alabama. Thanks for the time. Absolutely. Looking forward to getting down there and getting going. Uh, we can't wait. That's our buddy Chris Busher, driver of the number 17 Fastenal Ford Mustang for Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. He's joining us here on Sports Call Tiger 95.9 FM. 
Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. I'm Jeff Whitaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion, and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to the Wednesday edition of Sports Call here on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy with Cam Barry here for the last five or six minutes of the show today. Just hanging out. We've done a little bit of everything today. We've uh, we've talked some SEC football in hour number one. Yeah. We previewed the two ranked matchups in the league, Alabama and Arkansas, and then Ole Miss and Kentucky. We also talked a little bit about Mississippi State and Texas A&M. So we've talked some of that. Talked to Joe Bartle, Joe Bartle of RotoWire about fantasy football in the NFL. Just uh, re-aired that Chris Busher interview as uh, NASCAR goes to Talladega this weekend, and uh, we've talked some Auburn with some of our phone callers as well. Uh, so we've done a little bit of everything today, Cam. Yeah, it's been a been a good show. Uh, glad to talk to the callers. Bad, glad to talk about a little bit of. SEC football and a little bit of Braves baseball as well as we talk about how they're setting up basically to have a three-game showdown against the Mets and uh, for for the division, which is you know big time, great, great, uh, some great sports talk and uh, yeah, just just been a great day so far. And the Braves have uh, tried to line up their pitching staffs as has the Mets yep. to try and have their premier guys go in that series, and I know that. Uh, I think uh, Odorizzi is pitching yeah, tonight. Odor, yeah, he's, done, and, he's going out tonight. Which he's need him to have a good not game. been great. Yeah, so just need him to have a a good five innings. Just but, if we can right. do that, then uh, some maybe one run. I'm with it. Cool. Then that'll get us smooth sailing because I, I think our offense has finally woken back up and um, closed that game out and and look ahead to the Mets series. Yeah, so can't uh, can't take this one for granted. Yeah, got to do can't afford. Got to get the sweep. Yeah, got to do whatever at least the Mets do tonight and and keep that thing tied. But you're gonna have some big pitching matchups over the weekend. And I know Degrom and Scherzer will be out there for New York. Freed uh, and Kyle Wright for Atlanta. Uh, I think Spencer Strider was a part of that plan, yeah. but now on the injured, injured list. list. So that, that would have been nice to see because the last mm-hmm. time he faced the Mets. The last time he faced a lot of teams, he's yeah. been, he's been yeah. really good. He's been dog. Uh, very easily could finish second in National League Rookie of the Year voting. Behind his very own teammate. Michael Harris. You who hate we, to see it, but you also love <laughs> to see it. <laughs> who uh, we've talked about in this show already as, as being as having a, a dynamic year, one home run away from a 20-homer, 20 20-stolen 20 base season as That's a rookie. Um, and I saw some sort of statistic on that, and I don't want to – blow it out of proportion but it was it was pretty pretty rare as of late that that sort yeah. of thing is happening for a rookie and uh just you got to appreciate both these teams they're both uh very well could finish with 100 wins it's going to be right around there both at 97 yep. wins right now and so uh really truly both these teams are very good one of them's going to have the misfortune of being uh on the you know in a, in a wild card yep. situation there but um the second C, uh, you know, the division, second division winner will also be off. So uh, that that's a lot of implications. The yeah, fir- the, the winner time. of this division gets off in the first round, and the loser has a two out of three, which is at least I'm good with it not being one game. I know right. it caused a lot of entertainment, but man, it, for to play 162 and then get one game, 
I, that never sat well with no. me. No, yeah, that's probably not great. Just uh, one game. Baseball is just so unpredictable in that sense where you really do need a series of like two or three games to really, or three or four, three or five, excuse me, games to really uh, know, you know, the, the, the indication of how, how those teams really are. Um, so, yeah, yeah, just going to be uh, going to be exciting down the down the stretch. So Braves Nationals tonight, and, of course, you can catch all the games on one of our fi- family of stations here at Tiger Communications, 1230 WAUD. Uh, and uh, we've been proud Braves Radio Network affiliates for a long time. And, uh, again, a lot of interesting baseball to listen to and watch here down the stretch just a couple minutes left in the show now so it's time for this our show is about to end but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening here's sports calls nightly tv guide sports calls nightly tv guide brought to you by white claw hard seltzer tonight we'll start with the sports six o'clock on espnu got some women's college volleyball in the sec South Carolina taking on Georgia, that one in Athens, 6 o'clock on ESPNU. More women's college volleyball, 6 o'clock. Ohio State, 6th ranked in the country at Michigan, who is unranked. So there's one of the great rivalries in in college athletics, but on the volleyball version, 6 o'clock on FS1. As mentioned, the Atlanta Braves and the Washington Nationals, that's starting just a few minutes as well, 6.05 on Valley Sports South. And the Braves looking to guarantee a tie at the worst as they head into that Mets series. And then more women's college volleyball, this time again in the SEC, but Mississippi State in 13-0 Auburn at 7 o'clock on SEC Network. The Tigers sweeping Alabama this past weekend in Tuscaloosa uh, with two victories. So 13-0 are the Tigers. They'll take on Mississippi State. And then one movie pick tonight, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, 6 o'clock on FX. And you were telling me uh, during the break that the uh, new Deadpool movie, the yeah. 2024, yeah, is going to be fun. And yeah, oh, I'm so excited about it. I think that oh, that little series is just hilarious. Just Because that's part Ryan, of Marvel, too, yeah, right? Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. And, and I think it's going to be rated R, which is going to be yep. great. And I, Ryan Reynolds is hilarious. He just kills me so he uh hugh jackman the wolverine gonna be in that that's gonna be yeah, a lot of fun back. but uh again part of the marvel cinematic universe captain america the winter soldier six o'clock on fx and that is your nightly tv guide brought to you by white claw hard seltzer cam enjoyed the show today yes, hope the sir. braves win tonight and hope you have a great night go braves we'll have a great night and thanks to all those who tuned in and called in today and for joe bartle chris busher for joining the program as well for the host of this program, J.J. Jackson, for Tom Peavy, for Cam Barry. My name is Ryan Lavoy. We hope you have a great Wednesday night, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.